Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. in the subways in the late 70s. Talked about at one point in the city when there were more gang members as there were than there were cops. Way back in the 70s when we were on the brink of fiscal disaster. And then brand new Mayor Ed Koch had to come in and cut, cut, cut fire cops, firefighters, EMTs. Out of fire teachers and social workers, right on up and down the line, which meant there were no cops on the subways whatsoever, and all hell broke loose. And it seems we may well be heading back in that direction. So, whenever I get an opportunity, I always like to uh, dust off the vinyl and bring back this song because it's all about where we used to be. And we had escaped out of the belly of the beast. We elected Rudy Giuliani, our colleague here at WABC, that you can hear every Monday through Friday from 3 to 4 and then Sundays from 10 to 11. And he gave the city a badly needed colonic, as you all know. He uh, took a city that was the murder capital, the crime capital of America. And by the time he left after eight years, it was the safest big city in America. But what he did first and foremost is he had the back of the cops. When elected, he told all the cops, no matter who they were, I got your back. Get aggressive, go out there, be proactive, don't be reactive. And remember, he was dealing with the same cops that David Dinkins was dealing with. It's not like all of a sudden he had uh, 38,000 new cops, 40,000 new cops to deal with. It's just that they were revitalized, reinvigorated. It felt like they could go out there and do their job, unlike, unfortunately, what is transpiring today because there are enemies of police everywhere. And I feel it's incumbent upon me to discuss that with you in this first hour. As we take you to the 12 o'clock hour, we'll have our animal welfare update from 11 to 12, and oh boy. American military through the Pentagon is contracting uh, folks to buy dogs and cats out of shelters so that they can test out their new M16s by shooting the dogs and cats. And if they happen to survive, then operating on them, doing triage as if somehow that's going to resemble battlefield uh, wounds. 
that might uh, be suffered by the men and women serving the United States. That's nonsense. We're going to get into that with my wife, Nancy, animal rescuer, bar none. That's a real Shikola story. But uh, let me first let you know that um, I've got the McWhitey Whitey crew. This is the Frank Morano, the worst of the other side of Midnight crew that will be with him Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. Unfortunately, I get handicapped by having to have Matt Blaze, a man who clearly is a fugitive, with a name like that, multiple aliases, HR, human relations, will not at all heed my caution about doing a complete background check on the board operator here. Then we have Ken, best known for having a muscle between both ears. And it's all led by Alex, the uh, Frank Morano, the worst of the other side of Midnight producer, who has got to be the biggest brown nose ever in the history of radio. And I've known a lot of him. He's got his schnoz all the way up to Tush, Frank. So I'm stuck with them for the next three hours. And... They will, without a doubt, do everything they can to sabotage our flow. You see, when I have the normal crew of uh, Broadway Bill Lee on loan from WCBS-FM, an iconic figure, and then Avery, the telephone talent coordinator, who oftentimes the Frank Morano show says, oh, we need him, we need to conscript him because we need six people. I mean, three is not enough. Madonna, my, it's plenty for us. So suck it up, guys. First off, I can't believe this. With a uh, full entourage of media personnel from A to Z, television, newsprint, online, social networking, even here at WABC, there was not one mention all week that this was National Police Remembrance Week. Not one mention. Now, do I fault our crackerjack news team here at WABC, led by our brand-new news director, Noam Layden? No, 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 because it's just par for the course. Oh, it's another year, another week dedicated to the National Police Remembrance Week for all those who have been killed and injured in the line of duty. Uh, isn't that what they sign up for? <sighs> and uh, it just is par for the course when I give you some of these stories here that will just make your head spin. You may have remembered uh, when the uh, riots were taking place in the summer of uh, 2020, when George Floyd was killed by the police officers in the streets of South Minneapolis. There were many demonstrations that sometimes would lead to shooting, looting, and protests and attacks on the cops. Over 100 NYPD police vehicles were vandalized could no longer be used. That's how badly they were damaged. Cops were attacked. Cops were injured. Cops were in retreat. And I'll never forget, on the night of May 30th, 2020, not far from Fort Greene Park in the shadow of Brooklyn Tech High School, there was a mob of mostly uh, white hipster millennials, you know, recent uh, Converts to New York City coming from Iowa, where there are more pigs than people. Idaho, where there are more potatoes than people. Wanting to find their Democrat socialist roots and declaring war on the NYPD. And that's what they did. What they did was they attacked the police at the 88th Precinct Station House right in Fort Greene. And they prepared some Molotov cocktails and they tossed it into 
marked police vans that luckily were not occupied. And so eventually uh, some of these um, well-to-do young people who had graduated prestigious law schools were caught. And they were uh, prosecuted for tossing Molotov cocktails. And one of them was a woman named Rahman, who pleaded guilty last year to tossing a Molotov cocktail at an empty police van and is facing 18 months to two years. But her phalanx of socialist left-wing progressive lawyers have now claimed, now get this, you'll like this, uh, in case you ever get caught as the fugitive that you are, Matt Blaze. Rachman, to her lawyers, claimed that she was downing vodkas on an empty stomach and became quite drunk. Why don't you have a few slices of pizza first? Anyway, she and her fellow lawyer, a guy named Cullenford Mattis, decided that they would create some Molotov cocktails because tossing the Molotov cocktails was a way of expressing anger at police around the country for whom black lives did not matter. Meantime, there are whiteies here, right? It was an act of protest intended to avoid exposing others to the harm of police brutality. Oh, my God, this is like a soap opera novella. Anywhere, <laughs> man's lawyer. Rattled off a laundry list of excuses explaining her decision to chuck the explosive device. Now get this, Matt Blaze, you may need some of these excuses when you get caught. These included early trauma from being a Muslim in post-9-11 America. <laughs> Abusive partnership relationships. Haven't we all had that? Rahman. <laughs> and the injustices that she has witnessed here and abroad, including assisting refugees in Istanbul and Athens and helping low-income tenants in New York avoid eviction. Now, all of this is going to cost you to want to make a Molotov cocktail and throw it at a policeman. <laughs> there are judges who would say, very plausible, I can understand that, the frustration. But Rahman sounded soberer in a video interview that she made about 45 minutes before she torched the van with the Molotov cocktail, defending the protesters and saying that people are angry because the police are never, ever, ever held accountable. She said declaratively, this has to stop. And the only way they hear, the only way they hear us is through violence through the means that they use. And she wasn't slurring any of her words at that time. So maybe she had a few uh, Shirley Temples and not cocktails with vodka. Yeah, the martini cocktail king with vodka is Frank Morano. He's the expert. He should be able to testify on this. He has like six before lunch each day. She claims that she was half in the bag from Shirley Temples. And you know, the judge is probably going to let her... And her other liar for hire, the lawyer, friend of hers, go. And you know, they're not from New York City. Where did they come from? The Mid-Hudson Valley. They came from Dutchess County because they wanted Black Lives Matter, even though they're the ultimate McWhitey-Whiteys, right? <sighs> but it doesn't end there. Let's go up to uh, Whitelandia in Connecticut. A Connecticut Democratic candidate has claimed that police officers are joining the force just to give people beatdowns 
and so that they can have sex with women attracted to their uniform. Christine Maine, who's running for the State General Assembly in Hartford, said that several officers admitted that the reason they wanted to become cops in Connecticut is because they had perverted perks. Gee, I, I never saw that on the advertisement to become a cop. You know, here are your perverted perks. Anyway, some of them joined the department because they wanted to beat people up with impunity, she said. They wanted to have sex because the uniform attracted chicks, women. And they wanted to speed. They wanted to put the pedal to the metal. And she said that most police are combative with citizens. Well, thank God for a Republican running for governor in the state of Connecticut. Bob Stefanowski universally condemned her, but trying to... Any Democrats condemning her? No. Maybe she'll go away. Oh, oh, that's right. She's a follower of AOC, All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the head of the Democratic Socialists of America and the cop haters. Those who want to defund and destroy the police, defund and destroy prisons, the justice warriors. There's another one for their side, right? Oh, and Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, claims, oh, my brothers and sisters in solidarity in blue. You know, I served the NYPD, too, 22 years. He fails to tell you he was a house mouse, never left the precinct. No no arrests, no collars, right? And there are cops uh, in, in the department. They never leave the house, the precinct. You know, they're a house mouse. So now he has uh, indicated that because the court has told him he must, he must hire back police officers in the NYPD who did not get vaccinated. He can no longer keep them from returning to their jobs. So check out this executive order to all commands on the part of the house mouse, Eric Adams, who served proudly in the NYPD for 22 years. As of September 23rd, we have been ordered by the state Supreme Court to accept any and all police officers who were put on the shelf because they would not get a vax. In fact, even though many of them submitted religious exemptions, we delayed, delayed, delayed making decisions. Now our hand has been forced to all you police officers who were not able to get unemployment, not able to seek other employment, had to take reverse mortgages. Some of you who lost your houses, some of you who lost so much money that you had to declare bankruptcy. Hey, we welcome you back. But there's a caveat. You are to return to your precinct commands to your old positions. But let me remind all of you, the gall, the chutzpah, the coulions of Eric Adams. Should the court rule in our favor on our appeal, you're then fired! I mean, what is the point of this? Cops under attack. Under attack, and oh yes, later on when I do a tribute to a... Uh, woman who gave her life serving all of us as an EMT, the lieutenant in Astoria. I will describe to you the enemy of all enemies of the cops. A woman who almost became the Queen's District Attorney. Oh, my God. Tiffany Kabong. She would have given a real kabong to the borough of Queens because she didn't want anybody prosecuted, no matter what the arrest. Maybe, maybe if they got murdered. 
Okay, maybe if that got murdered, she would have prosecuted. But other than that, she believes in restorative justice. You know what that means, Matt Blaze? That means if Ken goes psycho and takes a Louisville slugger autographed by Rocky Calavito and beats you to a pulp, we don't want Ken arrested. No, Tiffany Kamban believes in restorative justice. The both of you should be put in a closet in a room and discuss your differences. And as long as Ken is willing to apologize and say he'll never do it again, you just have to let bygones be bygones. There will be no jail time for Ken. Tough nuggies, Matt Blaze. Anyway, uh, Tiffany Caban and her amigos went through the streets of Astoria distributing two weeks ago flyers to merchants, vendors, workers, and residents. Flyers that said, under no circumstance should you ever, ever, ever call NYPD. And should there be an emotionally disturbed person or a homeless person that is bothering people or threatening people or maybe menacing people, all you got to do is call 311. But don't, don't call Department of Homeless Services because they might backdoor you and then call the police. Think of, think of what just happened in the streets of that story. Oh, we got so much to discuss here. And the crime is just unfathomable. And Eric Adams, the swagger man who has no plan, I got to break it down for you because um, we got the skinny. Why the police commissioner, Sewell, who was uh, given the job as the head of detectives for the Nassau County Police Department. Everybody said, what the hell is this? Oh, no, no, no. She's the future of the police department. She has not been able to meet with any of the chiefs, the deputy chiefs, the precinct commanders. She meets with one person once a week on Sundays. Phil Banks, who is the deputy mayor for public safety. I hope, uh, Matt Blaze, that they meet while going to church. I'd hate to think that anything else is going on on Sundays. Why Sundays? That's the only meeting she has all week. She's not permitted to meet with anyone else. What the hell is she doing as police commissioner? She's missing in action. I predict she will hand in her retirement papers at the end of this month, October, and be done with it by January 1st. The real police commissioner is the unindicted co-conspirator known as Phil Banks, who became a cooperating informer. Yeah. A C.I., that's why he's not doing jail time as we speak. But he's friends of Eric Adams, and that's all that matters. The swagger man with no plan. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The war against the police, unfortunately, continues in our tri-state area around our country. And the war against our citizens. I'm going to give you a... Um, I'm going to give you the... Uh, What can I call it? It's like uh, not a laundry list. It's like it's an endless list of crimes committed. It just proves that I feel like Kurt Russell when escaped from New York. It's that bad, ladies and gentlemen. It's that bad. 1-800-848-9222. York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Ramp it up, Matt Blake. Ramp it up. Yeah, yeah. Step it up. 
on that magic carpet ride because you can't take the subways, that's for sure. If we were to uh, do a little analysis of that, why don't you come on the magic carpet ride, little girl? What is he, a pedophile? Right? And that little girl was trained by her parents or her grandparents. Don't ever, don't ever take the magic carpet ride with a stranger. Don't ever, ever. Right? I mean, listen to the words of that. We did, When we were listening to it, right, and I know you, Matt Blaze, you were doing Puff Puff Pass when you were listening to uh, Steppenwolf. Born to be wild. Oh, you love that song, right? Magic Carpet Ride. You were hitting the bong, no doubt about it. You never connected the dots and said, is this guy a pedophile? Little girl. What the hell? We're not talking a motorcycle mama here. He's talking a little girl. But anyway, it's par for the course. So let's uh, bank out of this, please. So we've already established to you that we are leaderless in uh, the police department. We have no police commissioner. She meets one time, one time only, with her boss, the deputy mayor, Phil Banks, a unindicted co-conspirator, a a cooperating witness. That's how he avoided going to jail. Can you believe this? And they only meet on Sundays. I hope to God they're in church. I hope it's not a no-tell, motel, holiday in express. I'm... Not suggesting anything, but there are Bibles in the Notel Motel Holiday Inn Expresses. Yes, and in fact, if you go to a Marriott, which is owned by the Mormons, you get a choice of two. You get the Mormon Bible, or you get the classic King James Bible, right? So if you're a sinner, you get an opportunity to pick your salvation. But let's go to the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams. My God. Crime is just popping everywhere, subways, streets, parks. I'm going to give you a litany today. But they've gone back to a message that they were giving out at the very beginning of the Eric Adams administration, which is that subway crime is a perception. So, Ken, you'd probably accept that as a dopey white boy that, oh, yeah, look at the analytics. Uh, You know, the numbers don't say it's really that bad. Man, you could easily be buffaloed. So could Alex. Although Alex wouldn't even look at a subway train, never mind ride a subway train. But anyway, uh, Matt Blaze, if you can please uh, play uh, the mayor explaining how all of us are wrong and how he, the omnipotent one, the pretentious one, is right because it is only a perception of crime. We have a safe subway system. Transit police officers, they have done their job. What we must do is remove the perception of fear. Cases like this aggravates the perception of fear. Uh, When you see homeless individuals with mental health issues not being attended to and given the proper services, that adds to the perception of fear. And so what our battle is in the subway system is fighting the perception of fear. Could he have popped his peas anymore? I mean, how many times did he say perception? You know, we should give a booby prize for that. If anybody can guess how many times 
without actually inhaling. He used the term perception of crime. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But it's not just him. He's got his lapdogs in the police department. And one of the biggest uh, lapdogs is this, uh, this mighty whitey guy, Ken Corey. You know, he's all buttoned down. You know, I've been at this like 32 years. And if the mayor says bark, Ken Corey says it's perception. Crime and transit was 8.6% lower this year than it was in 2019. A difference of 339 crimes. So he blamed the media. So now this is their new uh, page that they're reading from. They're blaming the media for hyping the crime. Now, you may have remembered, it was the same time just a week ago, Matt Blaze. Ken, he'll never remember. He's in a drug-induced psychosis. I was ranting about a video that had been sent to me by residents of New Howard Beach One, who actually worked for the MTA, the money-taking agency. Uh, They had embargoed this video. Nobody had seen it, but it was beginning to circulate amongst the residents of New Howard Beach, Old Howard Beach, and Hamilton Beach, which is not a blender, which is right next to the A-train at the Howard Beach Station and uh, right next to uh, JFK. And when I saw this video for the very first time Sunday, I, I, I never saw a man beat a woman like this in my life. And I've seen a lot of beatdowns. As you can imagine, I have quite an extensive background in uh, breaking up fights and disputes, running into apartments where there was domestic abuse, the likes of which is hard to describe because there was so much blood flowing. By now you have all seen this. A black man is running off the A train. He has already hit this woman in the head with a bottle. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. It's the train from Far Rockaway going into the city. She happens to be a security officer at one of the terminals in JFK and would regularly take the train to uh, the Howard Beach Station and transfer it to the buses. That's the way a lot of tourists, a lot of visitors to New York come into the city uh, to save money. It's actually much cheaper but much more dangerous because you get on that A train going through East New York, Brownsville, uh, good luck. The point being is, is that it was such a vicious beatdown. He's smashing a head into the token booth. That's empty, by the way. Nobody in the token booth. And he's stomping her and he's hitting her. And then a person comes through the turnstile, tries to distract him. He goes at that person. The person runs back out. And then he resumes the beatdown of the woman in a savage way. The next day we saw her all stitched up. It's very likely that she will lose her eye. She, uh... Cannot see through one of her eyes. And all she did was make an appeal to the mayor and to the the police. And she said, it's got to stop. Where are the police? Do you know how scared I am now? I was never a person to be scared. I can't see anything on my right side, honestly. And it just hurts. It's an incident in the subway. What happened to all these police officers? They said they will have there to protect us, to be there. There's, like, nobody to be found. I, I don't understand. Where are the cops? I'm on the subways every day. Where are they? I don't see them. And occasionally when I do run across a transit cop, he or she... Can I say that he or she, or do I have to say non-binary, could be transgender? You know, one of 72 different sexual or gender identifications. 
Or how about just if I see an XX chromosome or an XY chromosome as a cop, they're never wearing their freaking hats. So you can't even pick them out in the crowd. You can't even pick them out in the crowd. It's almost like they want to hide. They're not aggressive. They're not proactive. I understand all that. They're reactive. But I don't see cops in the subways. Maybe somebody out there can straighten me out. Maybe somebody out there knows that what I'm what I'm not seeing is in, I'm just missing. I'm going to the wrong stations. I'm riding the wrong trains. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But to add insult to injury, that city councilwoman again, that's right, from Astoria. Come on. She tweeted out. On that Monday, subway violence is a one-in-a-million event. Actually, the perception of it is what is bothering people. It's not the reality. As a believer in a violence-free NYC, I still think that one is too many. But let's not allow fear-mongering politicians or talk show hosts and corporate media outlets to scare us into thinking we have a dangerous, scary public subway system. And immediately the woman who had been attacked, who will probably lose her eye, has been traumatized, a mother of five, said, you don't even take the subway. When's the last time you took the subway? Have you been on the train since 2020? Because I have, and it's a very different place. So just stop, stop, stop. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The war on cops continues. The war on passengers continues. The war on citizens continues. And yet, our mayor, each and every night, oh, he's, he's he's all into partying. He's scheduled tonight to be at a private event at the Club Zero Bond, yep. And again, it's going to be all in the hips. This is all this guy thinks about. You think you got that, Matt Blaze, all in the hips? You think you got that? I mean, is this too difficult for you? I am completely open. You know, I'm a nightlife mayor, and I like to test the product. We know you like to test the product. And to anyone who's street smart who's ever heard that term or been in a club, you know what that means. Could you come to the bathroom and (laughs) test the product? Yeah, I got to taste it first before I sniff it. By the way, how much is that kilo going for? Jose. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is beyond your ability, Matt Blaze. This is D-Train. 
now rated by the strap hangers in New York City, the worst line of the many bad lines of the subway line in the city of New York. And it is from Stillwell Avenue, Coney Island. You ride all the way up to 205th Perry Avenue. And, man, it's D for danger. So I concur with the strap hangers. Rated the best subway line is the L train. Used to be the LL train. Lousy line when I was growing up. Rockaway Parkway to 8th Avenue in the city. And the reason it's uh, the best line now, because all the hipsters and millennials live in northern Brooklyn. And they demand service. But we'll leave. Oh, we'll leave. And then all of a sudden, Eric Adams in a rage, he'll say, go back to Ohio. Go back to Iowa. You remember that? How many people are reflect? Forget, right? They forget. Oh, no, no, no. Can't say nothing about that. I don't forgive and I don't forget. Well, let's run to uh, a litany of other crimes that have taken place. First on the subways. And then we'll talk about Times Square and Central Park and the Lower East Side and, yeah, even Wall Street. Nope. We know there's crime every day there, the hedge fund monsters, the banks, the quantitative easing. Oh, we passed quantitative easing, you crooks, you white-collar criminals. We're not talking about them. They're bringing back subprime mortgages now. Oh, yeah, the scam of the century. We're talking about street crimes. Yeah, and Wall Street. Anyway... I got to give tribute to a Canarsie legend. I'm going to do that later on in the next hour of firefighting. Firefighter was called the Canarsie Kid. It's from the Rockaways, Bridgie Point. But this uh, this guy was born and raised in Canarsie, a Canarsie legend, best known for his athletic prowess. In fact, his name, Tommy Bailey, part of the Steam Fitters Union, a delegate. Well respected in the community, well respected in his field. And when he was at Canarsie High School, he was like a superstar in football and baseball. He took Canarsie to the PSAL championship back in the 90s. And uh, he got a scholarship to play baseball. That's how good he was. He truly was a Canarsie legend. I know. But when I say was, it's because he happened to be at the Atlantic Avenue station on the L train, which is high, high up in the sky on the L. Down below is the bowels of hell. Let me tell you something. Atlantic Avenue down there now with all those shelters, all those uh, halfway houses, all those drug dealers. There's an actual station for the Long Island Railroad there coming in from Brooklyn, Barclay Center. I would suggest you never wait on that station. That's a mugger's delight. So he got into a beef with a guy, and the guy slashed him in the jugular, and he bled out. Nobody was able to come to his aid. No arrests have been made. Now get this. Come on, cops. They do this all the time. The suspect who fled after the stabbing was described as five foot seven with gold teeth. How come you're not saying the suspect is black? God forbid you say the suspect is black. Over under point spread suggests that 80% of the suspects in violent crimes in New York City are black, but we don't want to possibly be prejudicial. A guy on Atlantic Avenue in East New York where it meets Brownsville with gold teeth. Let's see how many white guys do we know that would fit that description. Hmm. How many Asian guys? Hmm. Hey, maybe some Latinos, yeah. But the over-under point spread would say, why can't you just say, with a dark complexion, 
or a guy who's black, like the victim. <sighs> nothing, nothing done. Nothing from the mayor, nothing from the police commissioner, nothing. Kanasi legend, dead, dead. But how does that matter? There was a good Samaritan the other day who jumped in and tried to stop two men from robbing another man. And what happened? He got slashed. And then they beat the hell out of him, beat the hell out of him, broke his nose, broke his eye socket, broke his cheekbone. No arrests. Yeah, 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 you're doing your job, swagger man, with no plan. Really doing your job. My God, look at this. Oh, oh, wow, look, tourists getting attacked. How are we going to attract tourists back to New York City if every other day another tourist is attacked, like the Maryland tourist who was smashed in the head with a bottle, slashed across the face, and robbed in Times Square right over the weekend? Right in front of 1440 Broadway outside the CBS, which is soon to close because of all the shoplifting and boosting going on there. It's trio of thugs trying to get the victim to buy drugs. Then the woman propositioned him from Seth for sex, and he said, no, no, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm just here. I'm, I'm going to the Port Authority. I got to catch a bus out of here. said, no, 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 no. Your money or your life. And so they put a shiv right to his throat. Took $140 from him and then busted him in the head with the bottle. He needed 16 stitches to close the gash. Descriptions? None. They escaped into the darkness of the morning. Look at this other one. A visitor from Denmark was shot on the Upper West Side last month for refusing to give up his valuables to an armed thief. I mean, this is happening all the time. I know he likes to talk funny sometimes. What the hell? What was that? Rudy came out of nowhere. You talking to me, Rudy? You talking to me? I know he likes to talk funny sometimes. So I like to talk funny, huh, Rudy? What do you mean by funny? Well, what do you mean funny, Rudy? I know he likes to talk funny sometimes. <sighs> I don't want to be distracted by my kumbada chich, Rudy Giuliani. He's trying to throw me off my flow. Like you guys are. 31-year-old European tourist got slashed in the kneecaps and then his private parts until he finally gave up his valuables. 30-year-old tourist from Belgium also was flashed in the face in an unprovoked attack at a Chelsea subway station. And then a visitor from St. Louis was attacked and raped at a Times Square station at about 3 in the afternoon. Now, tourists are going to see this. And, in fact, other cities that are competing for tourists, you know, to attract tourists, always send you the updates of crime in Chicago, Philadelphia, New York. If you're thinking of going to those cities, trying to dissuade you like it's not the city that it was for Rudy Giuliani. I know he likes to talk funny sometimes. I can't even mention his name now. I know you're doing this perfect, purposely, Matt Blaze. Every time I mention my kumbada cheats, Rudy Giuliani. I know he likes to talk funny sometimes. You see, it's like a tick. I'm not going to mention Rudy's name anymore. I know he likes to talk funny sometimes. I can't even say it. <laughs> Madonna, my. Central Park near the carousel. His families are waiting to have their children 
get up there and have the ride of their life. I remember the first time I was on a carousel. It was great. Not for these kids today, East 65th Street. As they're online, there's a guy who's yelling and screaming how he's going to chop their heads off. And then all of a sudden, one of the fathers steps up to him and does what a man should do. Instead of whimper away, ooh, I'm so afraid. And he says, hey, hey, don't talk to the kids that way. And then the guy goes, I'm gay. I don't raise kids. I don't belong in this world. And then all of a sudden, he took the knife and he tried to stab the guy. That's when the guy all of a sudden realized, uh-oh, you know, I'm not prepared for this. I knew I could try to bluff the guy, but I'm not prepared for this. And all of a sudden, the kids start running. The families are running away. They're traumatized. The police were called, and when they arrived, the man claimed the crowd was singling him out because he is gay. He started going insane while he's in the police officer's car. He was screaming, kicking, and insulting the crowd. He was yelling. And then all of a sudden, one of the women comes up to the window and just smiled, and he said, go ahead. Bitch, keep smiling. I'll see you in court. Now, you knew this guy was emotionally disturbed. He's walking around Central Park with a shiv. He goes up to the carousel. Just imagine how that could have gone awry in a naked city, in a swagger man with no planned city, Eric Adams. There are no checks and balances, no controls, no cops. No cops, although they eventually responded. There were two quadruple shootings last week, only an hour apart. One place I know well because I played there as a kid. My older sister, Alita, would take me there after school. It was right there on 88th Street and Atlantic Avenue in Ozone Park when I lived on 88th and Boyd. I lived there for a year, and she would take me, and the reason she took me was as an excuse to see her boyfriend. So she said, Mom, I'm going to take Curtis to the park. She said, oh, that's nice. He needs some fresh air. It was all a ruse to see her boyfriend, Stotch, and she would say to me, don't you tell Mom. We'd go to the park, and they had the parky. You know, the parky would be in the little building in the middle, and that's when they actually had parkies. And they actually had clean, sanitary bathrooms. He would give you ba- basketballs. He would give you Spaldings, Pensy Pinkies, but you had to return them. If you didn't return him, you were persona non grata. Don't ever come back to that park again. And he'd give out board games. Frank Morano would have loved this guy. You know, board games, checkers, parcheesi, you know, things that he could have handled. For his son, Carmine, a chess set, you know. Uh, the point was, it was great. And the park, he was in charge of the park. And so then my sister would go off with Stash, and I'd be sitting there, and it was time. Parky said, hey, we're closing up. All the games come back, all the basketballs, all the Spaldings, all the Pensy Pinkies. And all of a sudden, my sister would show up. And then she would walk me back and say, I told you, Curtis, don't say anything to mom or or else. You won't be coming to this park anymore because I will be grounded. I said, okay, that's a pretty good deal. I get to come to the park, play with all the kids. They got games they give you, the balls they give you to play with. And all I got to do is act like I didn't see anything. Mom, I, no, I didn't see nothing. Just this thing. No, Mom, I'm telling you, no, no, no. She was playing with me. We were playing box ball, stoop ball. 
Uh, yeah, we was, we're skipping rope together, you know. Four people shot in that park. An hour later, four people shot in Harlem. Eight people shot within one hour. It's off the hook, lady. What happened to the swagger man with no plan? Oh, that's right. He does, uh, what's he call that? The pivot and shift now? Yeah, oh, that's right. The pivot and shift. This is not a shelter issue. This is a humanitarian refugee migrant crisis, humanitarian crisis. And so we're going to pivot and shift as it needed. <laughs> pivot and shift. Pivot and shift. I do the boogaloo. A salsa. Pivot and shift. Pivot and shift. First you pivot, then you shift. Pivot and shift. Pivot and shift. The walls. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Oh. Pivot and shift. Pivot and shift. This is not a shelter issue. First you pivot, then you shift. Pivot, 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 pivot and shift. Pivot and shift. We've already shot the video on Thursday. It'll be available to all of you up on the WABCRadio.com website on Tuesday. And I did a magnificent job in the streets pivoting and shifting. Guys and gals, haven't you had to pivot and shift your entire life to stay out of hot water, stay out of trouble? That's why he pivots and shifts, because he forgets what he just said a week before. He says to himself, time to pivot and shift. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Start my mission, leave my residence. Thinking how could I get some dead presidents? I need money. I used to be a stick-up kid, so I think of all the devious things I did. I used to roll up. This is a hole-up. Ain't nothing funny. Stop smiling. You still don't nothing move but the money. But now I learn to earn because I'm righteous. I feel great, so maybe I might just... Money says it's righteous. Means he's a 5%. Uh, I'll explain that some other time. He ain't all that righteous, let me tell you. Eric B. at Rocky. Let's go to the phones. It's uh, Angelina calling from Howard Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Angelina. Hi, how are you? Uh, Not good. City's falling apart. Yes, agreed. Yes, Angelina. So, yeah, I'm from Howard Beach, and I'm 16. I'm scared to take the subway alone. Yeah, you're 16. How far do you live from the subway station there, the Howard Beach station, which is the connection to JFK? I live three blocks. Wow. So you're in old Howard Beach, right? Yes. Yeah, I know I know what you mean. I used to take the train all the time when I would visit my Aunt Mary and Uncle Steve, Cousin Butchie, Joey G, the Cheech from Howard Beach, Jeannie, mm-hmm. my cousin's... Uh, I love the A-Train, yes. but it's too dangerous now. Yes, yeah, I'm too scared, too. So what do, what do your parents do since you're 16? Do you have an alternative way to travel? So I have to take the bus, but it's, but it's longer that way. Yeah, no, no, I totally understand. Where do you have to take it to? Do you take it to school? Yeah, I have to, to take it to school, home every day. And what school do you go to, Angelina? The Mary Lewis Academy. Oh, sure. That's a very good school. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and tell your parents they made a good choice of a school, and you had to have some pretty good grades to get in there. Oh, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I want to tell you something. Angelina, mm-hmm. my first yeah. girlfriend in Canarsie, her name was Angelina. 
And, yeah. and then when I went over to her house, you know, to be, you know, be proper, yeah. you know what her mother said to me? If my yeah. husband ever finds out that you're dating my daughter, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> I never saw Angelina again. Yeah. <laughs> um, I met you at New Park last year. Oh, New Park Pizzeria, my favorite pizzeria of all time on Cross yeah. Bay Boulevard. Yeah, I met you with my dog. Oh, wow. I love New Park Pizzeria. I've been eating New Park Pizzeria since I was five years old when I would come to visit my Aunt Mary there in Old Howard Beach. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you keep you keep studying. Do well. And it, please, please, please avoid, avoid taking the subway, that A train. My God. Bad. Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. You think he's going to? Hell no. Oh, by the way, the police commissioner missing in action, Sewell. She lives in Nassau County. Uh, the rules are within six months you have to live in the five boroughs of the city of New York as a police commissioner. She's already told everyone, I'm not moving to New York City. What, are you afraid? You're the police commissioner? Let's go to Giuseppe. Joey, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joey. Hello. Hey, Joey, did I disturb you? No, I'm talk- I want to talk about the mayor, the dope. He says it's a perception of fear, but the trains are safe. Where do you live in Brooklyn, Joey? Borough Park. Okay, Borough Park. Now, do you remember when the subways were safe? Remember what? Do you remember, Giuseppe, Joey, when the subways were actually safe? Yes. Okay. Compare it from then to now. Minus 10. Minus 10. Joey is a man of very few words. That said it all. Minus 10. That means, miserable. Let's go to Bobby. Bobby, you calling from Diker Heights? Hello, Mr. Curtis. I am so happy I'm speaking to you. Uh... Now, you're in Dyker Heights, right, Bobby? Sir, 84th and 11th and 81st and 10th. I got it. I got it. I've been following you, my friend, for 40, 50 years. I always liked you. Always. Now, you sure? Always. Uh, you sure there wasn't a time you said, man, that guy's he, he deserves a beatdown. He's got a big mouth. Absolutely not, man. If the world was filled with more Curtis Lee, would it be a better world, my friend? Well, thank you. That's, that is truly a compliment. Now, you grew up out there in Bensonhurst, Dyker Heights? Yeah, I was born downtown, the old neighborhood, 4th Street, mm. and then, uh, then moved out when I was the year old, 84th and 11th and 81st and 10th. Now, you know what's happening next Saturday. We're trying to keep the tradition alive, the annual Columbus Day Parade up 18th Avenue in Bensonhurst. Yes, absolutely. Got to be there. I'm going to be there with the Guardian Angels. We're there every year. Got to be there to keep that tradition alive. Absolutely, man. Dear, dear friend of mine is the sausage man, and uh, I try to go to as many as I could, San Gennaro, 18th Avenue. Of course. And, and. Do you know that when I was a little boy and I worked in the butcher shop of my uh, my uh, uncle, Jimmy Scavone, 
I was the guy who had to go in the freezer and make the sausage. I had to mix the veal with the meat and the and the pork. And my uncle would say, hey, too much meat, too much veal, kid. More pork. It's cheaper. I was I was a gut buster. I was making the sausage, Bobby. Uh, and, uh, and everybody was loving it, Mr. Curtis, right? Well, uh, some of the older women recognized and said, Hey, Scavon, what's up with this sausage? I don't taste the veal. I don't taste the meat. It's all pork. More pork <laughs> sausages, more, please. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that commercial. We're around the same age. Yeah. So we grew up in the same era, man. Well, let me tell you something. Next Saturday, got to be on 18th Avenue, the annual Columbus Day Parade. They're trying to destroy the tradition, trying to take it from the Italian-American community. Will Eric Adams be there? He wasn't there last year to march. Will he be at the Italian-American Day Parade for Christopher Columbus in Neck in the Bronx on Sunday? He wasn't there last year. Will he be at the traditional parade on Monday where we'll be broadcasting WABC and I'll kick it off at 12 noon? The likelihood is, unless he's pressured, he won't be there like he wasn't there last year and got a pass from the Italian-American leadership. Hey, Chaz Palminteri, don't let Eric Adams off the hook. WABC. The founder of the Guardian Angels. A group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's the theme of it. And we can never thank Lieutenant Allison Russo Elling enough, unfortunately, a victim of one of the most vicious crimes that has ever been committed in New York City. If you saw the video, some people have, others haven't. I saw the graphic video provided to me by my EMT friends and members of the fire department. It was so vicious. You know, some of these knucklehead elected officials, when they went to the scene in Astoria on Friday, actually said, well, you know, she was off duty. She was going for a sandwich in a bodega. And thank God the union members stepped in and said, hey, we're never off duty. We got our radios on. She had her uniform on. She wasn't off duty. She was savagely attacked. She didn't even see her culprit who pounced upon her, knocked her down, and then stabbed her 20 times, 20 times, over and over again. A witness confronted the madman, but he snarled, F you, F you, before stepping away from Lieutenant Allison Russo Elling, who was bleeding out at that point, and charged at a scooter-riding pedestrian while still holding the knife, only to run away 
barricade himself in his apartment. He had been living in that part of his story, his relatively quiet area, for two years. And was always known as Super Strange. His name, Peter Ziopoulos, age 34, lived by himself. Apparently, at one point in his life, he did relatively well. He won a UFT scholarship in high school. Apparently, uh, had very good marks. And then something, something went terribly wrong, like so many other people who were roaming the streets, living in apartments, suffering from severe psychosis, mental illness to the point. But something uh, caused him to mount her and relentlessly stab her over and over and over again, right on 20th Avenue and 41st Street in Astoria. Sick. And then we learn more about Lieutenant Allison Russo Elling that, in fact, she had responded right after the attack on 9-11, like so many other firefighters. And she was always there for her brothers and sisters who were in EMS service. And uh, it was obviously by the outpouring of the love and the concern that they had for her death, hundreds saluted the coffin carrying Russo Elling that was driven through a gauntlet of FDNY medics, firefighters, and personnel from volunteer ambulance corps. Don't ever forget the men and women, the young adults who work as volunteers for ambulance corps. They're there at the ready in many of your neighborhoods. Uh, they're supported by communities. I, I don't mean in salary. They're volunteers, but there are certain needs, and they've saved lives. I've been with a lot of the volunteer ambulance corps folks, and they go unrecognized. But they turned out in mass. And then they took her body to the morgue in New York City. And uh, please get a pad and a pen, and I'll tell you how you can pay your final respects to a real hero of heroes in her entire life. She lived in Huntington Station in a ranch house, and her neighbors, just bewildered, couldn't imagine how she would be killed in such a savage way. For several years, Russo Elling was a day captain, which meant that she scheduled and set up the roster for the first aid crews in four-hour ships at the, uh, at the Huntington Community First Aid Squad. So she did this in addition to working as a lieutenant in the fire department with the EMS crews. Wonderful mother, according to all, dedicated paramedic who was looking forward to retirement, and then she would travel and fish and kayak. Just the the emotions that were pouring out from men and women from all different walks of life. This is one of those savage killings that will never, ever fade from memory. Just the picture. You see her picture. And, you know, her parents, unfortunately, parents always believe that it's their children that will end up burying them, not they burying their children both of them are alive. They live in Comac. My mother and father would say that the one thing that Allison would always do is call them, check on them. And her mother knew that something must have been terribly wrong that day because she didn't call that day. 
her mother, Catherine, 85, her father in a wheelchair, and the services, the wake that I hope many of you can attend. It's right there in Comac. I'm sure to make it a little easier for her parents, who obviously have to be tremendously devastated. It's at the Comac Abbey, 96 Comac Road. There'll be two days of viewing. So tomorrow from 2 to 4, 7 to 9, and then Tuesday from 2 to 4 and 7 to 9. I'll be attending on Tuesday. I hope many of you will try to find time to come and pay your respects, or you could come to the uh, funeral, which will be in Brookville on Wednesday at 11 a.m. And, you know, there'll be firefighters and EMT personnel who will be there, not just from uh, New York City, but throughout the tri-state area and beyond. This is the second person who works for the EMS who has been killed in the course of helping others just in these last few years. And I think, if memory serves me correctly, the 1,158th member of the FDNY to lose their life in the line of duty. And then when you look at this uh, individual, totally unhinged, totally mentally ill, he's still in for psychiatric observation. He's been charged with multiple acts of murder. There's no doubt he'll be locked up in perpetuity. I know it's very easy to say, hey, they'll find a nuance, he'll slip through the cracks. He'll probably be in Kirby Psychiatric, which is in Ward's Island, uh, Mid-Hudson, I think it used to be open, Mid-Hudson. I don't know if it's open anymore. But anyway, he'll be in a a, a psychiatric facility for the criminally insane. And he'll be there forever. And you'll look at him and say, why? 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 I never figure it out. It's the anniversary of that guy who was uh, in that window in Las Vegas in that hotel, stuck that machine gun out the window at people who were watching a... Country Western concert, remember, killed close to 100 people, and we still don't know why. So many so many years later, we have no idea why. But this one really hits deep. And just wanted to say, just as we were on the cutting edge of bringing to everybody's attention the savage beating in uh, Howard Beach of that female, mother of five, who works at JFK, That video had been embargoed. We were the ones that broke that story, right? Right here, last Sunday. You remember, Matt Place. Even you can. You're a bit stunned. You remember I talked about it. I referred to people going to uh, Facebook, Facebook at Curtis Sliwa, Twitter at Curtis Sliwa, and people got a chance to see it for the first time, and they 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 were vomiting. It was so brutal. In this case, we also broke another story not directly involved with Lieutenant Allison Russo Ellings' murder, but something that was unbelievable shocking, unbelievably shocking. There is a city council woman who represents Astoria, the hipsters and millennials who have taken over from the old Greeks and Italians who used to predominate, used to be the area of Peter Vallone, the Vallone family, moderate Democrats for the most part. Now forget about it. <laughs> It's the land of AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. 
one of the few places that a Christopher Columbus statue survives. You better believe now that they've declared war on Christopher Columbus Day, the parade and the statues, they're going to destroy that statue in Astoria. I hope amongst the old Italians and Greeks, you protect that statue there around the clock because it's going to be under attack. But this uh, Tiffany Caban, who wants to destroy the police, destroy prisons, defund the police, defund prisons. She hates the police. She hates correctional officers. She's proved it over and over and over. She distributed literature two weeks ago. An EMT who had been a former guardian angel on Friday called me, said, Curtis, unbelievable. These flyers are in some of the stores. It's been distributed by Tiffany Caban. She is telling everyone, don't ever, ever call 911. Under no circumstance, do not call 911. Can you imagine? This occurred days later. In her mind, you still don't call 911, even though this this, this maniac is stabbing the lieutenant 20 times. Don't call 911. She says, you call 311. Request a street outreach team. It could take a few hours, she says. She writes, it could take a few hours. Don't ever call the police at 911. In fact, let me tell you what this um, woman who has no street smarts and her followers suggests. Imagine this, Matt Blaze, if you had been confronted by that maniac with a knife who was just coming right at you. Try to divert his attention. If you have a soda in your hand, spill it. Say, hey, didn't I go to high school with you? As if that's going to stop him from stabbing you over and over. This this woman is crazy. Then she says, give the person causing harm the chance to correct their behavior. When the person stops their behavior after he has stabbed you 20 times, Matt Blaze, your friend, should say, have a good day. I, when I saw this, I went absolutely out of my mind. With our tax dollars, she's printing this out, giving this out. She believes in restorative justice. You know what that means? Again, if Ken, in a drug-induced psychosis, took that Louisville slugger, that Rocky, Rocky Calavito autographed uh, Louisville slugger that I keep around here, just for that occasion, in case a maniac comes in here, right between the eyes, I hit him so hard his mother will feel the vibrations. If all of a sudden uh, Ken should actually act up and break your collarbone or break your arm, Matt Blaze, according to Tiffany Caban, you should not have him arrested. You should seek restorative justice. And with a mental health counselor, the three of you can sit in a room and discuss what is it the cause can to want to kill you with that baseball bat. And once he fully explains himself, Matt, it is incumbent upon you to forgive and forget. And then Ken will know he got over like a fat rat and he'll go out and do it again and again and again. This is unprecedented. Now imagine... We are responsible. And I know a lot of you are saying, what do you mean we? It's her. It's She's she's the count. No, we're responsible. She has qualified immunity. She is protected from being sued. 
like all civil servants, like elected officials, appointed officials, judges, DAs, not cops. They've been stripped of qualified immunity. They can be sued, not her. So imagine one of her constituents actually believes this nonsense and goes out there and follows her instruction and gets seriously injured, injured, or killed. A lawyer sues. He or she's got a good case. We pay. We pay. This the taxpayer. She's she's immunized from lawsuits. You know who started this crap? Claiming you, you shouldn't call the police? The swagger man with no plan. The church the uh the house mouse for twenty two years hiding in the precinct as a police officer, never busted his shoes, never made any collars. You remember two summers ago when all of a sudden you had armies of thugs shooting Roman candles at one another, summer like 2020 when all hell was breaking loose and Bill de Blasio couldn't even address. Remember how so many of you were kept up in the wee hours in the morning every night at, at dusk until like 3, 4 in the morning and shooting Roman candles at one another. It looked like a battle between ISIS and al-Qaeda. And so Eric Adams was the Brooklyn Borough President. Again, he always goes around, cop 22 years. And he said to his Brooklyn constituents, he put it in a newsletter, and he said it in a number of appearances, don't call the cops. You go down and handle it yourself. And there was a woman in East New York in the projects, Linden, in uh, Linden Boulevard, the Linden Projects, who did exactly that. She liked her borough president, Eric Adams. And there was some thugs downstairs, and they were shooting Roman candles. It was about 10 o'clock at night, and people have to go to work. People in the projects, they do work. Most of them pay rent. They're not living there free. And she went down, and she did exactly what Borough President Eric Adams told her. She said, hey, guys, you know, people got to sleep here. They got to go up, get up, work. Can please stop? F you. Mind your own business. And it's stuff, just a stream of profanities. And then... One of them was carrying a piece. Said, I'm going to get that, blankety-blank. They follow her to her apartment, and as she's ready to put the keys in the door, they shoot her twice in the back of the head. She bleeds out on the floor. Did the borough president of Brooklyn, Eric Adams, ever apologize for that? No. I don't know if the city was ever sued, but, boy, that's a damn good lawsuit. You got a former cop, right? House mouse, 22 years, Eric Adams telling his constituents as the Brooklyn Borough President, do not call the cops as a result of a constituent believing in the Brooklyn Borough President because he was a cop, trying to deal with it on her own. She gets shot and killed. I probably, um, there was an article in the newspapers this weekend that the city has never paid out more in lawsuits than now. There might have been one. I'll do a deep dive on that. Can you believe that? You know, he didn't say anything about Timoth- uh, Tiffany Caban. Did, did you hear him say anything? You heard from Curtis Sleewitz. That's crazy. Eric Adams didn't respond because he did the same thing two years ago. That's what Tiffany Caban would have said. Wait a second. Eric Adams, the former cop, he did it two years ago, told people, don't call the police. Handle it on your own. So the antidote tomorrow will be after I broadcast from 12.15 to 1, as I do Monday through Friday. And I got to do an interview uh, for Fox News on the growing crime here and throughout America where I have guardian angel chapters. I'm heading out to Astoria. 
with flyers that say, always call the police. Don't listen to Tiffany. Come on. There's a problem. Better safe than sorry. Call 911. And it's coming from me, the guardian angel who's considered the world's number one vigilante, right? A guy who's taken the law into his own hands, as I have on many, many occasions. So, Tiffany, come on. Guess who's coming to dinner? Right there on Steinway Street. I'm going to the EMS Center. Pay my respects to the colleagues of Lieutenant Allison Russo Ellie. I'll be at the Wake and Comac. Hopefully you all can attend either tomorrow or Tuesday. I'll be there on Tuesday. And maybe if you can't attend then the the, the uh funeral mass uh the which will be on Northern Boulevard at Brookville. I don't exactly have the time and the location, but we got to turn out in mass. We got to say no to Tiffany Caban, no to AOC All Out Crazy, and no to Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. song says it all necessary. We've been abandoned by our elected officials, appointed officials, and our cops have been rendered impotent. And now Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan, has welcomed illegal aliens with no background checks, no medical checks, who are being sent here by Maduro, trained by Fidel Castro behind the sugarcane curtain of Cuba, where they were allies, when Hugo Chavez was riding high as the leader in Caracas. And they're using the same measures that Fidel Castro did when the Mario Lito boat movement took place in 1980. And he sent to America 
to Jimmy Carter, who just celebrated his 98th birthday. By the way, Met fans, with his Atlanta Brave cap on, going chop, 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 chop with Rosalind, his 95-year-old wife, like they did in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium when Ted Turner was the owner of the Braves, who along with Jane Blunder Fonda, remember his wife, they were going chop, chop. The Braves have never given up their name, unlike the Cleveland Indians who capitulated, and now they're the Cleveland Guardians. The Washington uh, Redskins, now they're the Washington Commanders. (laughs) But the Atlanta Braves never gave up the chop-chop, never gave up the symbol. That is so ridiculous, especially as we're coming into... uh, the celebration of Christopher Columbus's uh, holiday. For some, it's Indigenous Peoples Day. I don't have a problem with that. You can celebrate both. But the one side wants to eliminate Christopher Columbus and tear down the statues and take away the holiday and take away the parades. So as an example, to all of you listeners in the Bronx who go every year this next Sunday to the annual Christopher Columbus Day Parade in the neck, right there in Throg's Neck. I'll be there with the Guardian Angels as we are every year. I hope you will be there to keep the uh, tradition alive the day before. Bensonhurst, 18th Avenue. Hope you're all going to come out. And then the big march up 5th Avenue on Monday the 10th. I'll be broadcasting from there at the start of the parade at 12. And I will look to see which officials are paying lip service to the parade and the holiday but refuse to march, refuse to march like last year. Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, and the Italian-American leadership gave him a pass. They gave him a pass. Not this year. Not this year. Got to preserve the name, Columbus High School, preserve the statues, not just in Brooklyn, outside of the... uh, State Supreme Court building in the shadow of the Brooklyn Borough Hall, the one in Astoria that they want to tear down, the bust of Christopher Columbus there on Arthur Avenue in Belmont that the Albanians take care of now. Nobody wants to cross them. Black Lives Matter didn't. (laughs) Guess who got the best out of that one? The Albanian bad boys. And, of course, the Christopher Columbus statue in uh, Columbus Circle. Oh, it is so important. And all of you should be joining Bronx residents tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, in the Orchard Beach parking lot. As community leaders will be holding a solidarity press conference to say no, no to the tents. No to the tents being erected by Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan, in which he plans on housing 1,000 single able-bodied Venezuelans who are going to be able to freely come and go with no work, with nothing to do all day, but to roam about City Island, Throg's Neck, the Northern Bronx. You know what's happening. Just be out there. Listen to the speakers and join them in solidarity. And then get a pad and a pen because later on I'm going to tell you where you can join me tomorrow on Staten Island because I am joining so many there who are saying no to the... uh, Norwegian cruise liner. The Norwegian cruise liner that Eric Adams is leasing from Fort Lauderdale that probably by the end of the week will come out of mothballs, be recommissioned 
and will end up being birthed at Homeport, the north shore of Staten Island, Stapleton. And uh, I want to tell you, you should be proud of your congresswoman, Nicole Maliotakis. She not only said, hell no, hell no, a thousand times hell no, but she has an opinion piece in the New York Post today. You can go online saying it's time for Mayor Adams to get on board with border security. Calling him out. Vito Fasella, the borough president, he vacillated a bit, but then he came out strong and he said, no, no cruise liner, nowhere docked on Staten Island. But the one who has been feckless and weak, the Neville Chamberlain of the Staten Island era, is the minority leader in the city council, Joe Borelli, who has said, well, given the options, this is the best choice. And then given a chance to amend it, he goes on Facebook and he goes, a lot of you don't like what I said as an Eric Adams Republican, but it's the only thing we can do. Oh, I'm coming out to Staten Island tomorrow. I'm joining all of you in solidarity. You cannot fold like a cheap camera. You cannot capitulate. The Adams administration has plans to bring in 30 ocean liners, 30 of them, coming to a neighborhood near you. And he's welcomed in the illegal aliens from El Paso, where he has an agreement with a Democratic mayor to accept as many as come across the border. Is that crazy? And there are some elected officials who are waiting for their 30 pieces of silver. Remember Judas, right? Uh, Max? Speaking of Max Rose out there, when you march with Black Lives Matter, it cost you your congressional seat. The dumbest thing that any elected official has ever done. When you get those 30 pieces of silver, you go blind. Let's go to Ann, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ann. Hi, Curtis. This is that little old lady from Staten Island. Ah. Listen, I don't know, I don't know if you've seen the uh, New York Post really recently, but I'm really suspicious about this. It says that scores of Venezuelan migrants in New York City are hopping on vans headed to Florida. The hurricane cleanup, they told the Post. Post. Now, one of these people said they want us for hurricane cleanup. We'll get paid $15 an hour over time and $15 for food daily, I think said Javier Marino, 37, noting that a woman named Camelia, Camelia from an organization approached, approached him with a flyer. He says, I'm going to go for work because it's hard to get here in New York. How's the work in Florida? He's asking. Now, the driver is picking up these people on a, in Queens at a corner in Corona. Yeah, Junction and, Junction Boulevard and 32nd Avenue. I'm aware of this. I'm aware of this. And I'll explain it, Ann. It is true. Uh, I have said it here on this program in the aftermath uh, of when uh, hurricane, uh, the hurricane smashed through Florida is that uh, even after Hurricane Katrina, all of a sudden Latinos were everywhere in New Orleans because they will do the work that nobody else will do. I mean, they go into the muck and mire. They'll go into the basements, the flooded basements. They'll deal with uh, 
diseased uh, areas that normal Americans would say, I'm not going in there unless you give me an oxygen mask with a tank, hazmat suit, gloves, protective gear, PPP. No, 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 no. They will do that. They did it after uh, Superstorm Sandy. So what happens is whenever hurricanes or tropical storms or storms whip up their damage, these uh, businesses that are contracted by water or debris companies immediately put out a call for illegal aliens because they know they'll do the grunt work. And they do good work. And so they're going to, I mean, they'll take a few hundred down there, maybe a few thousand. Uh, but that's to be expected. They they do work hard, but they don't have working papers. They won't ever get working papers the way the laws are now until uh, they actually have an asylum hearing, which could be for many years. So they're going to attempt to do anything they can to survive in the interim end. Well, I can understand that in one way. I just got really suspicious because I figured it was Adam sending them down there to do something back to DeSantis. No, no, this is tradition. I, I've seen it after hurricanes in Florida, after Katrina in New Orleans. There were very few Latinos in New Orleans because I have guardian angels there. After Katrina, all of a sudden, there was, I mean, thousands of Latinos, illegals, who did the work that Americans don't want to do. That's uh, all the heavy lifting, all the dangerous work going in the flooded areas because now there's sewage, there's debris, there's still electrical lines that that could end up electrocuting you in the water. It's a lot of dangerous work, and they throw all caution to the wind. They work hard, but this is not the way it should be. This is not the way it should be. There's a way to come in. you got to have a sponsor. you got to be tested medically. You got to be vetted to make sure that you're not uh, a criminal in your country of origin, a pedophile, a sexual assaulter, a narco terrorist, or a terrorist uh, planning on doing harm to America. Look, we got supposedly 10,000 Ukrainians, war refugees, that are going to be accepted in New York. The specification was they had to have sponsors, like for many of our grandparents and great grandparents. Somebody had to vouch for them, somebody had to say, I will take care of them if they can't take care of themselves. I will provide them lodging. I will make sure they have food to eat. I will make sure they have sustenance. The sponsor has to take responsibility. These illegals coming through now that just go on the Greyhound bus and then they go to the Port Authority and they're welcomed by Cardinal Dolan. Cardinal Dolan, come one, come all. Catholic Charities, we'll take care of you. No, it's not you. It's us, the taxpayers who end up, through the politicians, giving millions of dollars to Catholic charities. It becomes a, a, a for-profit business. And then all of a sudden, you have people that are there on Sunday for the services. Right now, I know that you, uh, you, you heathen, on the other side of the window there, Matt Blaze, you probably haven't been to church in a month of Sundays. But if you go to the English-speaking mass in most parishes, you can roll a Brunswick bowling ball through the aisles and you wouldn't hit anything. The Spanish-speaking mass, a pack to the rafters, without which many of these parish churches are going to close. So the Catholic Church, it's like an investment. Yeah, bring in the Latinos so we can stay alive and get government money to boot. Get government money to boot. Anyway, let's go back to the phones. It's... um, Michael, calling from Richwood, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Michael. Curtis, 
I'm reminding you and every New Yorker that Chucky e. Schumer is running for re-election this year. Yes, he is, and you would never know that he actually had an opponent because the guy is just being shut out of any attention. He's a great guy, African-American. He's been out there going uh, to all 62 counties in the state, Joe Pinion, and he gets little, if any, attention. That's a disgrace as the Republican conservative candidate. Anyway, by the way, there's a 6,000... 600% tax increase coming. How do you know it's 600%? AOC coming back. Chucky Cheese Schumer back in power again. The Dems winning. winning. 600% tax increase. All right, Accountant Michael there in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Go feed the ducks in the duck pond in Ridgewood. Although they took the duck pond out. Let's go to Eileen in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eileen. Hi, Curtis. Yes, Eileen. I'm going to go back to your first question. Eric Adams, I think, said presumptive four times. Am I too late? No, you are absolutely correct. You nailed it. Now, Ken, uh, telephone uh, talent, uh, lack of coordination man, (laughs) will... uh, We'll take your information, Eileen. You're going to get the Curtis Lee Booby Prize, thanks to the generosity of our owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis, of our parent company, Red Apple Media. It's a beautiful WABC baseball cap, and the patch you will receive on it says, the better side of the other side of midnight, the Curtis Lee show. Oh, I truly appreciate that. Uh, number two, Curtis, yeah. I took that A train from Far Rockaway, I'm going back some years. I'm older than you, I think. But I took that A train to high school in Brooklyn. Which high school? Oh, you probably, I don't know if you'd know it. It's a girls' high school. I hung out at a lot of girls' high schools in Brooklyn. Bay Ridge? (laughs) Bay Ridge High School? No, 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 no. Which one? Um... Bishop McDonough Memorial High School oh, on Eastern Parkway. Yeah, now wait, wait. Let me tell you how well I know Bishop McDonough. It was within the walking distance of Brooklyn Prep where I went. You had Clara Barton down the yep. hill, mostly all that's girls. Right. Some guys were smart enough to go to Clara Barton because that's where all the girls were. Prospect Heights in the middle on Washington Avenue across from the Brooklyn Museum. And Bishop McDonough, where I used to hang out with the other guys from Brooklyn Prep hoping to get lucky. No, there were no guys allowed there. No, 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 not there. You'd meet him in Prospect Park after uh, school. Well, after school, uh, we 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 basically were subway rats. We got a, got on in Far Rockaway. Yeah, well, these were with... these were girls that their parents were like ready to send to the convent, if you know what I mean. Uh, I <laughs> bad girls, bad girls. <laughs> With the patent leather shoes, you know, bad girls, bad girls. But Eileen's real Dustin. That's right. Stay on the line. Eileen has won the Curtis Lee Will Booby Prize. Ken, I know this may be difficult for you. You are a stunad. Don't blow this like you do everything else on the Frank Morano show. The only reason Frank keeps Ken on is he's a white guy. It's the McWhitey Whiteys. The alternative is the better side of the other side of midnight, where I got all brothers. They're all brothers. 
And some people still think I'm black because my name is Curtis. 1-800-848-9222. Get your pads and pens. I'm coming out to Staten Island. Oh, man, fire. We're going to stop that cruise line from coming into the home port area, Stapleton, because it'll be the first of many, and a lot of them will be out there in Staten Island. You can trust me on that. W-A-B-C. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 W-A-B-C. We're paying tribute to uh, fallen hero, EMS Lieutenant Allison Russo Ellen. But recently, many of you joined me, as did Sid Rosenberg from the morning show, to pay tribute to a hero above all heroes. He did earn the title, the Canarsie Kid. You know, I always thought I was the Canarsie Kid because everybody say, oh, that's Curtis Lee the Canarsie Kid. Nope. No, I can't compare with New York City firefighter Timothy Klein of Ladder 170, Engine Company 257, right there in Canarsie, who, if you remember, was fighting a fire near Avenue D in Canarsie along with his other fighter firefighting uh, mates. I think he was the nozzleman that day, uh, an Engine 257, if I remember what his colleagues told me we went the Guardian Angels, we went to pay our respects to the wake in Flatbush, and then he was buried uh, after a high funeral mass out in Bell Harbor uh, near Breezy Point. And uh, the guy was fabulous, absolutely fabulous. In fact, he had given the eulogy for his fellow firefighter, Stephen Pollard, who died responding to an accident on the Bell Parkway just about uh, a few years before. And I remember watching the video of him saying firemen are going to get killed. When they join the department, they face that fact. When someone becomes a firefighter, his greatest act of bravery has been accomplished. What he does after that is all in the line of work. They're not thinking of getting killed when they went where death lurked. They went there to put the fire out and got killed. Firefighters do not regard themselves as heroes because they do what the business requires. And on that day, he was trapped on the second floor. A rush of fire came through, and the floor collapsed. 
and unfortunately he lost oxygen for about 20 minutes and could not be resuscitated as you heard the scream over the radio, code red, code red, code red. When I went to the wake, uh, I knew some of the firefighters. As some of you know, uh, Eddie Brown, who is the UFA treasurer, guardian angel in the very beginning of the group, used to lead the patrol uh, in the Bronx through Parkchester, Zariga Avenue. Actually saved my life in New Orleans when we were organizing there. An emotionally disturbed guy pulled out a revolver, tried to shoot me in the head while I was giving a speech. And Eddie Brown took him out with an axe kick, took him down. The New Orleans cops took him away. And then me and Eddie Brown were walking through uh, Canal and Bourbon Street, the French Quarter that night. And I said, Eddie, look who's ahead of us. It was the guy. He had on his wrist the wristband of the hospital that had released him after giving him a psych test. Oh, it happens all over the place. And that was back in the 80s. That was back in the 80s. But I, I want to tell you, when I went to the wake, the reception I received from Klein's family was incredible. I'll never forget that. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Patrick, his father, who had been a retired firefighter. His mother, his three sisters, I think it was Erin, Bridget, Tara. Boy, they received me as if I was a member of the family. And I'd never met them before. But the reason was is that I'm synonymous with Canarsie. And uh, Timothy Klein was synonymous with Canarsie. That firehouse said... He was assigned to. My father used to take me there, used to slide down the pole. They would let the kids slide down the pole. They'd give out Christmas uh, presents during Christmas. It was always an open, fun place for the community. Still is. And so that's a hero. Boy, you, you go out to Breezy Point, out there where Sid Rosenberg now lives. You go out there where Lou, his board op lives, used to be with Imus in the morning. And you mention uh, Timothy Klein's name, as I have done every time I'm out there. Boom. Whatever they're doing, people just, their heads pop up, say, yeah, the Canarsie kid. A lot of heroes. A lot of heroes that oftentimes get for- forgotten as time goes on. We here at WABC, we, we don't forget. And I can only say that I never forgive those who are responsible for taking out our heroes. And to those who are enemies of our heroes, the police, like Tiffany, come on. I'm coming out there tomorrow, Tiffany, and that story, I'm, I'm, I'm administering the antidote. I'm letting everybody know you call the police. You don't do what you say, telling people to do as a councilwoman. Don't call the police ever. Do you know uh, Matt Blaze that across the street from her, her councilmanic office, Two brazen thieves on motorcycles robbed a group of people dining outside a cafe right across the street from her her headquarters. And she wants to defund the police, destroy the police. She was hiding under her desk. You know, they, Tiffany, help! Hiding under her desk with a staff. Oh, I hope they don't shoot. I hope they don't shoot. You know, these hipsters and millennials, they got no street smarts. They're the easiest ones to thug up. Uh... 
A professional thug, a thugette knows, give me a hip saw, millennial, man. They'll give me everything. In fact, they'll bend over, even if I haven't even asked them to do that. God, can you believe that? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, I can see. Wow. Is that the, You're interested in coming out to Staten Island tomorrow? Is that true? Is that true? Hey, don't tell Frank Morano. By the way, what is Frank Morano, the Mama Luke's position on the ocean liner coming out there? I noticed uh, Alex, you brown-nosed producer for the worst side of the other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. Frank has been very quiet about that. Extraordinarily quiet. It's like, why? He doesn't want it on the South Shore? Oh, that's right. He owns property there now. Keep it on the North Shore, as if it's going to stay on the North Shore. Get your pads and pens. You can come on out to the Point Tavern tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. That's 879 Forest Avenue. I'll be speaking on behalf of Joseph Tyrone, who's running for the State Senate, 23rd District. That's the North Shore, Staten Island, and part of Brooklyn. I won that district uh, against Eric Adams. So he has a real shot at winning this district because this is right in his backyard. As they have for Sam Pirazzola, who is uh, running for the Mid-Island Assembly Manic District that is being vacated by Cusack, the Democrat. So Sam will not tolerate the ocean liner. Joseph Tyrone will not tolerate the ocean liner. Nicole Maliotakis, the strongest in the defiance of Eric Adams and saying no ocean liner here, no ocean liner here. But Frank Morano, Mama Luke, and his very dear friend, Joseph Borelli, the councilman, they're saying, well, you know, it might be the only solution. What will be scratchy uh, we'll see what Frank has to say. But uh, you got to stop it. Look, uh, I want to remind everybody there was an action in which Ed Koch had grouped up with the borough president, Lamberti, there, and they tried to force a prison on Staten Island. The uh, folks in Staten Island rallied together, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, and they prevented that from happening, and Lamberti lost his position as borough president because Guy Molinari was so angry, senior member of Congress representing Staten Island, he left the House to run for borough president just to beat Lamberti. I know Staten Island. I won Staten Island in the general election, overwhelmingly. You believe in an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, blood feuds, vendettas. I know I have a lot of enemies in Eltingville who still want to kill me. But this is all for the positive. Let's go, if we can, to uh, actually uh, Ralph, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ralph. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Cordis. As you know, this man, uh, Eric Adams, is so problematic, it would never be part of the solution. Uh, he doesn't have what it takes from the get-go. The man is incapable, way over his head. Now, Ralph will talk for the next 10 minutes without realizing he's no longer on the air. We've introduced him to Mr. Click. That's Ralph. I've known him over the years. 
he'll pontificate, he'll talk, he'll he'll be telling us stories of his country of origin, his birthplace. We can go back to him in 20 minutes, he'll still be talking. He's a real malienta. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Paul, who's calling from Westwood. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paulie. Curtis, what's going on, buddy? What's going on, buddy? I've been listening. Hold on. I can take this oxygen off. Hold on. There you go. I can talk. Very good. That's important. I I understand, Paul. You're you're, you're still in the hospital, right, Paulie? I'm on my fourth, fourth, uh, fourth, uh, what do you call it? The catheter. Yeah, you're, 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 9-11's killing me slowly. You're, you're, I got to tell you, Paul, to all of our listeners, you're a real warrior. Uh, you got yeah. the, the catheter in there. Could I do your solid vision? You would pull it out. <laughs> I was gonna. <laughs> I got to tell you, I've had that done to me. There's nothing more painful in the world when they've put a catheter into your male member and then they say. Trust me, they, they gave me diamorden. It's more. It's ten times stronger than morphine. They gave me like ten mil, ten milligrams. Yeah, but I remember the first it, time it, in Bellevue, yeah. Kathy Bates came in. She was my nurse, and she says, "I'm here to take out the catheter. I could do it the easy way, or I could do it the hard way." And she said, "I want you to look over there and take a deep breath." I figured, okay, she's just giving me a preliminary exam of my bullet wounds, right? And then she just yanked it out. And I got to tell you, I lost my manhood for the next month. It was not functioning, Paul, for a month. <laughs> you know what those catheters are like? And they have to do it because if not, you you would die from the toxins. They have to uh, put the this, catheter this one's in. in. This one's in my back. This one's in my back. Oh, now. okay. That's a lot better. That's a lot better. So, oh. Paul, get, yeah, let me, when are you getting out of the hospital? I, I don't know. I, I went to Mount Sinai for uh, – I, I worked at 9-11, and they found cancer. So I went to Mount Sinai, and as they, they went to uh, check for the cancer, they punctured my lung. God. I'm hearing this more and more, Paul. This happened to our colleague, Bernard McGurk. He went for a uh, checkup for prostate cancer, and they they have to do a invasive procedure, and they ended up – puncturing him this is happening more and more i don't know what the result of it is i don't know maybe the incompetency or maybe they're uh, they're having uh, individuals do it who haven't necessarily begun competent i also want to say paul that they're now all vacillating as a result of the bills are coming due and they have to put more money into the 9-11 victims compensation fund for all the medical care that paul and others need and they're hesitating. They're vacillating. But we're giving all this money to illegal aliens who are coming across the border who show no paperwork. We don't know if they're criminals, terrorists, narco-terrorists, members of gangs. We're spending millions on them. And we hesitate to spend the needed money for those who have survived the ordeal of 9-11. Somewhere out there in mid-New Jersey is Christine Todd Bullis. A patrician who became governor of the state of New Jersey, not because she was a very good campaigner, but because the king of talk radio took her by the hand. Bob Grant, it was 1993, 
And his campaign slogan for her was Florio Free in 1993. Why do I say that? Because this past week, the former governor, Florio, died. Single-handedly, Bob Grant got her elected. No talk show hosts have ever gotten candidates elected. If they say they have their line. If that was the case, Barack Obama would never have been president of the United States twice. Look at all the people who were stacked against him. Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Bill O'Reilly, and, of course, Mark Levin. And he got elected twice. He got Christine Todd Witness elected, and he got Florio out of office by taking her on a bus tour from Camden County to Hudson County, and they hit every diner in New Jersey, and he spoke about it on 770 AM in the afternoon drive. The greatest local talk radio show host in the history of this medium, and we never give him the attention that he's due. Plus, he helped unseat Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo, who is on his way to the White House, on his way to having his Faccia Bruta put up there on Mount Yosemite Pete or whatever that is, next to Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and not FDR, but Teddy. They had a place ready for Mario. Mario, Mario, Bob Grant took him out. How come we haven't dedicated a full hour of our documentary history here on the 100th anniversary to the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, without which I wouldn't have been in talk radio? W-A-B-C. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow, last week at this very time, Nancy was nursing Tuna, our senior citizen rescue cat, Tuna, who was about 14 years old and yet smaller than even a kitten because of its neurological difficulties. Also, it was the cat that was in my first campaign TV commercial. She stole the show, Tuna. Nobody can ever remember what I said in that 30 seconds or 60 second ad. They just remember Tuna looking up at me with the gorgeous eyes of her. But she was, uh, I feared at that moment, Nancy, uh, that she was not, for this world. It, uh, in fact, I felt her and I thought that she had already passed away. I thought that she was already stiffening up and you just spent hour after hour massaging her and warming her up and just give us the update because everybody has been asking me all week long, how is Tuna? How is Tuna? Well, so the good news is uh, Tuna is actually doing quite well uh, today. And Tuna has been recovering, which actually did actually did surprise me, um, given Tuna's age and 
her ailments. So, you know, I mean, obviously when they get older, it's, it's a, it's a little tough to figure out, but I, I, I was not sure what was going to happen with Tuna, but like Tuna has this incredible will to live. So, I mean, I, I think that's what's carried her through because she's like recovered like a complete superstar. So, I mean, we have like our kittens who are with her during the day uh, at nighttime. You know, we have her like uh, wrapped up. She's like with the heating pad, things like that. But, you know, aside from that, it's like she's really recovered incredibly well because, you know, I would say the three main things when you um, like have a pet, it's like if they start to maybe seem a little bit, you know, not themselves, uh, the main things you're looking at is, okay, are they eating? Are they drinking? Are they, you know, doing their business? If you see any sort of disruptions in that, you know, usually that's the thing that, you know, gets you really super focused. So, uh, you know, Tuna was having trouble with eating, but then now she's recovered. So, again, but those are really uh, big signs. It's like I, I'm so surprised how how much of a rebound she's taken. Like, I'm just so happy <laughs> that she's still with us. Oh, for two days, there yeah, was touch and go. She wasn't drinking water. She was barely moving, barely opening her eyes. Uh, every time I would reach out to her, I thought for sure she was stiffening up. It was almost as if maybe she was in the final stages. And I don't know how you revived her. You resurrected her, but uh, she went on her constitution just the other day, which is something I would have never thought possible. She went out in the hallway and walked up and down, and she unfortunately falls down from time to time because of her neurological problems. She needs that 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 pendant, that uh, alert pendant. You know, I'm falling, I can't get up. And she gets up each time. She gets up. She struggles, but she gets up. It's, a, it's just incredible proving it's just like human beings – these animals, they have their own personalities. Some might have just decided they weren't, wouldn't fight it, and she, she's a fighter. But, but it's also like their energy level. So, for instance, like, uh, you know, the way that you have, have always sort of uh, mentioned that when the cats will uh, lie on top of you when your blood pressure is high, it's like they instinctively know that, and clearly that's been shown already because there's enough indications that oh they they utilize cats for these reasons but they know that so it's like the reverse is true as well so it's like you know the more attention you pay to them they're getting that energy from you so i think it's uh equally as helpful and again given tuna her age her health ailments i mean a lot of this in the past few days aside from what we were doing independently, was really just paying attention, making sure, like keeping her close to us. It's like, I think th- there's that sort of a unspoken element that that level of energy really does heal people and animals as well. Now, how can people actually see uh, a picture of the revived tuna? How can, uh, what, where can they go to see tuna as she now exists? Okay, well, uh, on uh, your Facebook, uh, Curtis Sliwa Facebook, mm. you can see the uh, pictures of Tuna now. And I'll get some independent pictures as well. But these are pictures where, uh, like, our rescue 
uh, kittens were actually, they were even glomming on to tuna, like trying to take care of tuna. Now, this was something they had never done before either. So it's like even they as kittens sensed it. So they started laying next to tuna, cuddling up with her. So it's like sharing the body warmth, the heartbeat. It's like, I mean, they recognize it as kittens and tuna's feeling better. So. Wow, that is uh, really, really great news. Great work, Nancy, <laughs> and great work, kitties. I think I uh, see the the one picture, Lukey. Lukey, that's that's the new kitten, right? Yes. Wow, Lukey is really taking care of uh, of Tuna in this picture. That's so good to see. But <laughs> now we have to go to bad news. Uh. Back in 1983, the Pentagon crossed their heart, hoped to die, and said we will not be utilizing animals any longer to test out uh, high-range military weapons like M-16s, like assault weapons. And they lied. They've been going to nearby shelters in Maryland, uh, in Washington, D.C., and been buying every animal that's available. They hang them in a sling. They hang them upside down. And then they shoot the animals. If they die, they die. If they're just about ready to die, they do triage on them as if it was a battlefield wound. And they practice triage on them. I, to me, this is so sick. So sick. Uh, yes. So to your point, yes, it is very sick. So th- this was uh, banned almost 40 years ago by the Department of Defense like as a a sort of methodology. So basically what the Army is stating is conducting these tests where they shoot, um, you know, cats, dogs, uh, you know, primates, and then also dolphins. I'm not sure how those factor into the equation, but they're wounding these animals so that they can get experience for, the people who are, you know, uh, up and coming in the ranks to deal with uh, wounds issues. Now, I mean, first of all, this this sounds like completely ridiculous because if they wanted to be intelligent and helpful about it, they would sort of um, uh, have these learning experiences in places where there were actual human wound victims so that there are real-life experience because at this point – it's clear that all of the medical industry has indicated, oh, there's no reason to think that you can handle these issues by dealing with any of these animals. So it's really pointless at this level of research, but this is really the problem. You have a lot of these, um, you know, uh, organizations, and in this uh, case it's the, the Army, where they're conducting research on these animals that's supposed to give knowledge to people how to help, you know, victims of wounds. Like, there's a lot of other ways to do it. They're just not thinking how to move themselves forward. I'm sure they have a lot of uh, contracts that, you know, people who are putting pressure on them. It's not advancing forward, and it should, because it makes no sense what they're doing right now. Like, I mean, they're literally grabbing animals from the shelter, and again, this is part of the problem. It's like like animals have no value in the, any area of the law. So they can grab animals from a, a city shelter, like, you know, our city shelter system. 
and then like you know pay like ten dollars for them and do these experiments like this is why it's so important to make sure animals have rights so these things don't happen but it just shows you here we have the pentagon swearing in the paperwork 30 years ago that they would stop the executions and uh, testing the weapons on dogs, cats, as you mentioned, dolphins, pigs, chimpanzees also, chimpanzees. And yet they were doing it anyway under the cover of not sharing the information. It took a Freedom of Information Act to uh, and court battles to get the information uh, showing uh, how they uh, actually just disregarded the promise, and we're killing these animals. Shame, shame on them. A thousand times shame on them. It's just, it can't be tolerated. Can I, this reminds me, this takes us back to Dr. Fauci, now that he's finally going to leave. He's a millionaire seven times over. How the hell did he make $7 million in the year since the lockdown and the pandemic? Since March of 2020, he has... Uh, assembled a portfolio of wealth of $7 million on his way out. you got to scratch your head and say, where the hell did he make all that money from? But the point being is he outsourced those beagles to Tunisia, to the laboratory. And I can never forget the images of the beagles who were strapped down on a gurney. They uh, They had cones around their head so they couldn't move their head. And then these flesh-eating insects were released to eat the flesh off their skulls, the most horrible death. And to this day, it's never been explained why you would use American tax dollars to torture beagles. Fauci refuses to answer that question, refuses to answer that question. And the thing with the choice of beagles, what makes it over-the-top disconcerting, it's like, I'm disturbed when they do any of these animal testings, but the choice of the beagle, the reason why they utilize beagles is because they're the most docile of dogs. So they're the least to put up any fight when you commit these horrific acts on them. That's even more disturbing. That should make everyone outraged that this is what's going on. They're choosing the most docile of dogs. This is the Animal Welfare Hour. If you would like to call in, please do so at 1-800-848-9222. We've given you the good news about the recovery of our oldest rescue cat, Tuna, but the continued executions of dogs, cats, chimpanzees, dolphins, and pigs by the Pentagon in order to test uh, M16s. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, here's some positive news. In the African country of Mozambique, apparently lions have attacked units of ISIS who have threatened to destroy America and Western civilization and have attacked and killed ISIS members? Yeah, so I think you're going to be much uh, better situated to explain the situation. But as far as I know, it's that there's uh, jihadists who are like sort of uh, living in the the uh, sort of uh, uh, wild areas, like the forest, like and, and all of a sudden, it's like they're trying to hide from the uh, you know sort of uh, officials. But now they're being attacked by wild animals. So it's like the lions are coming in. And they're just, like, feasting on them. So I guess apparently there's no place to hide. 
Wow, the Lions are taking out ISIS. This is incredible. This is great. And then they're not even contracted to do it by the CIA. They're doing it on their own. I mean, it's like it's like it's um it's the same uh, situation as you have like feral cats. So these are like feral cats to the umpteenth degree in the wild. So this is how it looks. This is great. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. It's the Animal Welfare Edition, featuring Nancy Sliwa. Now here's one: test your ability as a esquire, a lawyer who's dealt with civil issues and criminal court issues, a woman charged with murder for running over a man in order to save a cat. Can you explain that? Okay, so uh, this particular instance, uh, you know, in terms of the cat, it's a little light on the info, but what the, like, so what the story is, is that this woman uh, saw a man in the neighborhood like she's coming home, she sees this guy. She she thinks that this uh, individual is trying to kill this cat. She approaches him. He continues to do whatever type of behavior he's doing, and she actually gets back in her car and winds up like you know running him over. And this guy died, so now she's being brought up on charges. But I think uh, next week. The next week's show will have definitely some good information because the thing about the story is it said that apparently she recorded this entire situation on her cell phone, but they don't tell you what happened, right? So it's not clear yet what exactly happened. Like, did she actually save the cat? And at this point, the whereabouts of the cat is unknown. So the most important situation, the cat, And then the guy, like, I don't know what happened, but apparently there's cell phone video. So we should have more information next week about (laughs) once we see the video. Ah, the only bad thing about this is if they find the cat, the cat can't be a witness. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and again, the information is very light on the cat. So I'm not sure what happened, but apparently there's a video. I think the video will tell the entire story of what happened. This is incredible, this next story. Abductors demand a ransom for baby chimps kidnapped from a sanctuary. I think uh, these kidnappers, these thugs, understand that sometimes people care more about animals, would pay a ransom to get animals back than they would for people. Yeah, so so, so this story was about um, three uh, chimpanzees that were kidnapped from a sanctuary in the Congo. And, you know, and then once these, um, you know, uh, three chimpanzees were taken, the owners of this sanctuary were contacted for ransom. And, you know, so again, like it goes into the story, like obviously it's just very curious. Now, then the the kidnappers, they were uh, texting the owner of the sanctuary and they were indicating like, oh, it had had their children, like the, you know, the couple's children come home because they were supposed to come home for like a vacation. They were going to kidnap the, the children, but because something happened and they didn't, by default, they just, uh, you know, kidnapped some of the uh, chimpanzees from the sanctuary. And, you know, so so the ransom that was 
requested the uh, you know the people who run the sanctuary, the couple who runs the sanctuary, say like, well, first of all, we can't afford to pay it, but we don't want to set a, a precedent that we're going to reward people who do this behavior. And then apparently the um, you know the the administration like agreed to that same sort of philosophy. Oh, we don't want to you know sort of deal with people who are going to be doing this stuff, but. You know, it really brought light to uh, the issue, which, I mean, I'm not re- I wasn't really aware of before, which is that so apparently, now I think about, like, uh, the reason why uh, chimpanzees, like baby chimpanzees, are uh, sort of a commodity in, in these countries, the reason why people steal them is because they're trying to sell them to people like wealthy buyers who are like exotic animal buyers. So... It, this is like it's almost like the um, uh, dogs. Like you buy like a you know a well-bred dog. There's a, a premium to that cost. So people are willing to pay for baby chimpanzees that are born in the wild in Africa. Now, as opposed to you know chimpanzees in the United States, which are born and bred just to be like lab animals, like they have no value. But these ones, who are the little babies in Africa, who are born, they have to kill their entire family to get the baby chimpanzees because that's the only way you can get them because when you try to grab them otherwise, the entire family kicks in and, like, you have to take everyone down. So, to me, that was really the biggest part of the story. Like, I didn't realize how, you know, how deep this story was with people trying to buy these little baby you know, animals, like exotic animals. So, you know, this is an industry that needs to be cracked down. And obviously we hear about stuff like people doing trophy hunting in different countries, but this is a really important industry to pay attention to because it's like entire families are being killed just because someone wants to have a baby chimpanzee. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC. 1-800-848-WABC. And then a page right out of uh, the Michael uh, Vick playbook, not as a quarterback that he was in the NFL or even an announcer, but when he was torturing dogs uh, because he was uh, training them to fight uh, and then uh, kill off those that weren't high-performance animals. Apparently 305 dogs were rescued, 20 arrested in a dog fighting raids in South Carolina. Can you give us any more information on that? Well, yeah, so uh so 300 dogs uh were rescued and it's related to uh what you said like the dog fighting. So uh you know, they uh they wound up um you know, I mean again, to think about 300 dogs being taken in now Normally, when you hear like the dog fighting uh, situations, it's like maybe a maximum of twenty or thirty, but it just like kind of shows how how deep this is, right? So, but the, uh, the dog fighting obviously it's like related to uh, you know people uh, you know uh, trying to bet on things, like the the money sort of element to it. So, but you know, again, this is the reason why you really need to prioritize abuses to animals because again i mean you really have to recognize the situation here when people abuse animals they're most likely abusing children spouses they're going to be someone who's going to commit a crime against someone in public 
you can't treat lightly crimes against animals. If people are involved in this level of industry where they're breeding animals to be fighting each other, you really need to acknowledge what's going on here. So, I mean, this is an important thing. Like, I mean, again, these people who commit these crimes need to be, you know, obviously jailed, locked up. But obviously the next step is figuring out why people do this in the first place. It's like beyond money. But these people need to be taken out of society because if you can do this to an animal, you know they're going to be doing this to society at large. Like, this isn't just an abuse against an animal. It's an abuse against society. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Laura calling from Hopak. Uh, your turn to be heard here on WABC, Laura. Hi. I just want to let the two of you know that as far as the beagles and the adoption of them, our neighbor next door, lovely family, was able to adopt one of those beagles. And his name is Ham, and he's adjusted really well with their family and their other little dog, Sweetie. And I appreciate that you guys put the word out. Oh, yeah, and uh, there were, remember, all those beagles that were warehoused in Virginia that we thought that uh, the evil Dr. Fauci might get his hands on for experimentation, and Americans uh, rose up and they ended up uh, adopting those beagles, so none of them ended up uh, going to Dr. Fauci so that he could subcontract experimentation on them in third-world countries. Yeah, and, and happy to hear that Ham has a has a happy ending. Does he's with a wonderful family right next door and playing with another dog and it's great. So uh, I just awesome. want to let you guys Love know it. there's a little happy news for that too. Love it. Love well, it. Thank All you. Right. Thank you for that good news, Laura. Let's go to Jacqueline calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. Jacqueline. Hello, Nancy. Hello, Curtis. Um, I wanted to share some information with both of you and also with your listeners and to appeal to them to contact their representatives, their congresspeople. There is a congressman in the 17th District of Florida. His name is Greg Stube, S-T-E-U-B-E. He and his wife are an animal-loving team like you. His wife is a chair of the Humane Society in Sarasota County, and he is introducing legislation that will end this funding to the NIH. And as you mentioned, Curtis, our tax dollars, I don't know if people are aware of this, to the tune of $40 million a year. That's an awful lot of money, and they're using it to fund these inhumane, torturous testing on these innocent creatures. Um, One other thing, if the bill is not passed by the midterms, Congressman Stube has promised that he will uh, make an amendment via the appropriations process to stop the funding of the NIH for the torture of these creatures. Uh, Not only do they uh, torture the beagles with the insects, they also inject them with cocaine. And many of them are babies. They're less than a year old. Anyone who has had a kitten or a puppy or any baby animal could certainly um, relate to to the innocence of these creatures who depend on us as humans to care for them like, like you both do. You know, it's amazing, Jacqueline. We hear sometimes uh, of experiments that were done on animals through the NIH, through the agency that uh, Fauci controls. He claims he's going to be out of here by December. There better not be any delays. 
But then you actually read what the experiments were for. And uh, I know you and I, Nancy, we've seen some of them, and we've said, really? And the only way you could have found that out was by torturing and killing animals? Okay, you know, from a very basic perspective, there should be such a level of transparency in terms of what's happening. So, for instance, with all these tests that are going on, there, uh, like, uh, for instance, uh, the recent thing, the federal government is, uh, you know, withholding information because they're basing it on national security interests. Now, having gone to law school, I know what that is. That's just a like a sort of catch-all phrase for the fact that we don't want to disclose to you why we're doing what we're doing. But the point is, the reason why you pay money, you're a taxpayer, there should be transparency. If your goal isn't working, if you're not efficient, like every person who lives in society who has a job, there's a protocol. They have to live up to a standard. They're expected to do something. If the government is getting taxpayer money and they're not doing something, they need to be called out. Their protocol needs to be called out. The people they're dealing with need to be called out. That's why you have transparency in the first place, so people can actually decide what makes sense. That's a problem. They're withholding that basic information, and everyone deserves to know it. I mean, they don't need to do these tests 10 times over. They've done them before. They have the results. And they're continuing to to take the low-hanging fruit when what they should be doing is really advancing and creating a forward momentum. They're doing the lazy job, which involves, you know, injuring these animals. That needs to be called out right now. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. As we continue, let's go to Maxine in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Maxine. Hi, Nancy, and hi, and hi Curtis. And, and I'm so happy to hear about Tuna's recovery. And yeah, thank you. I. You're welcome, and I still look forward every Sunday to this hour program with you both. So what I'm calling about tonight is that I have friends in Florida, and uh, they were able to get out, but they lost their home, and they had just had seven puppies and their male and female uh, dogs, the parents, that they had to give up to the humane society. Now, many of their friends are still stuck in their homes in the area. The, rib, the, the water from the storm has turned into rivers with alligators and snakes. People have, are stuck in their houses waiting for Red Cross, and many people just have to let go of their pets. And so I, I want to know, you know, what else we can do? I mean, yes, we can donate to different organizations so on. But, Nancy, do you have any other thoughts um, about this, and thank you so much. Thank you both. Yeah, so in terms of uh, people who are still in their homes, like uh, like why they would have to get rid of their pets, like if they're in their homes, like I, I would presume that 
they would be comforted by the fact that they have their pets there. So it's more a question of like how to figure out how to get supplies to the pets, like, you know, food and maybe like, you know, sort of uh, things like that, because I, I think that would be a really comforting thing that people who have their pets there and their pets are there. So it, it's more the resources. So I, I think a lot of these, um, you know, like for instance, Red Cross, if, if they're, uh, reaching out to supply uh, things to people, they should also make part and parcel of it, like uh, supplies to pets, because so many people have their pets there. So, yeah, I mean, like I, said, I, I think that there's a lot of reason why, why people, you know, they won't even leave their home without their pets. Like, so my brother, he lives in uh, St. Petersburg, and he had to uh, you know, there was like a mandatory evacuation, and he has two uh, senior dogs that, like, uh, you know, they have like, you know, uh, special needs and medicines. And so before he left, like, obviously he took them with him, but he had to get the medicine. Like, so, yeah, I think it's more of like all of these organizations that are assisting in the the outreach effort. You, you know, we want to make sure that. It's like, you know, you kind of push the agenda as well. The fact that all these people also probably have pets. So you want to make sure that they're getting pet supplies. So this way they can keep their pets with them. Because during this time, especially, I'm sure they're, this is their family. Like this is going to comfort them during, you know, overcoming this, you know, situation of what happened to their homes. Well, the last time uh, for Hurricane Maria that devastated Puerto Rico. Uh, our guardian angels on the island uh, of Puerto Rico were able to get supplies of dog food to the dogs that suddenly became wild because they had to leave their homes because their homes were underwater or the the dogs would have perished. And so they were out in the wilds. They had nothing to eat. Uh, They're not used to being wild. They're not wild dogs. So uh, our guardian angels were able to feed them. We were able to provide the money uh, from the mainland here in America, and they were able to go out and find the dogs. They were never able to, you know, match the dogs up to uh, the houses that they used to live in because they were all destroyed. But at least the dogs were able to survive. So there are always things that can be done. It may not be uh, the the best in terms of getting people back together with the families that they were no longer with, but it certainly can be done. Let's go to, uh, if we can, Judy, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Judy. Um, yes, sir. I was wondering if you could uh, address Dave Foreman's Wildlands Project. I don't really understand it, but it sounds like it's uh, already started to divide North America into 21 bioregions for connecting and surrounding human uh, villages and communities uh, with uh, corridors for endangered species animals to travel. Is that happening today? And is is that why maybe we're seeing more lynx and coyote and uh, alligator uh, appearing and, uh, you you know, scaring people? I myself, uh, Judy, I'm not aware of that uh, project. I don't know if you've heard anything of it, uh, Nancy, but maybe if not, we can uh, come back with analysis of that uh, same time, same place next week. 
Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I haven't, but uh, I'm definitely interested in learning more about it, so I will do so. Hi, number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Diana in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Diana. Hi, Curtis and Nancy, Diana calling. I'm half Polish, half Ukrainian. I've been rescuing cats for about 20 years. But, um, right now I don't have any. It's my, our last one just passed away, and my husband is ill. But um, uh, there's a kitty that keeps running down to my girlfriend's house. She put it on our town's Facebook, and the, the owner recognized it, came down to get it. Uh, the cat had been hanging out there for several days. Her husband started feeding it. It was starving. It has a large GPS on it. it uh, and the ones I see at the pet shop have like a one-inch uh, GPS. This one happens to be like two inches. And um, to me, it just looks awkward and uncomfortable. So anyway, the guy, the kid comes down, gets his cat, told her not to feed it again, to spray it, and he, um, to spray it. So she was insulted and annoyed. Her husband had gone up to the house just to see. He has no shelter for this cat. He has no food outside. Okay. All day long. Wow. Oh, yeah. That, okay. That's that's crazy. That's crazy. So anyway, I we have Dawes here, uh, D Animal Welfare, the town animal welfare, but they don't do anything anymore. I used to help. Wait, them out. Now, when you say the GPS, like, so is this like a common thing that the outdoor cats have by you? GPS. No, but this guy is a rock climber. He ha- climbs the side of his house. He has these hooks, and I see that he has a lot on his Facebook about climbing. He's an outdoor guy. So oh, yeah. he he said the cat goes five miles a day, and uh, that's why he ha- – he, uh, well, I don't know why he keeps the cat outdoors all the time. He said it is total outdoor. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, right? So if, if, uh, I mean, if someone has a cat and they, I mean, you make the decision to keep them outdoors, obviously you need to be really responsible and, you know, over the top about, you know, maybe where their setting is. So, I mean, if the cat's going into places where it's maybe encountering some things where it's like, oh, just spray the cat. No, that probably sounds like, that's not really a wise decision. So, I, I mean, again, I'm not sure why by default this person would do this, but there's a lot of things, obviously, that, like, I'm sure you're well aware, right, that can happen to the cats outdoors. So not everyone's going to be on board. It's like the same way when, when someone has a dog off leash and they just jump up to a person. Like, you don't know how any person's going to react to any animal. So by having a cat outdoors you never know who they're going to encounter and how that person's going to react to them. So it's not a very smart decision unless you can enclose them. And then to say something like, oh, just, you know, spray them. No, it's like, obviously, now you're letting the cat loose. It's going to assume it can go wherever it can go. It just sounds like a very bad situation that this cat really needs to be enclosed. And, you know, I think the older they get, the reality is, like, they really do want a, a a small, comfortable space where they feel comfortable. Like anything that's enclosed, like you can set up a like an outdoor enclosure, something that has like a open netting 
where the cat can see the outdoors but not have to interact and not have to run for miles, but they get that level of outdoor interaction, but they're safe and secluded. Like, I would say maybe that's a good suggestion. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Stuart in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Stu. Yes, I I called a couple of weeks ago. I do investigations on animal cruelty, and I run an animal sanctuary. Uh, I just heard you talking about uh, pound seizure, taking animals for experimentation. Uh, It's controlled by state law, and uh, in New York, you are not allowed to release any animals from any shelter or sanctuary or any facility for experimentation. It's a class A misdemeanor, which gets you up to one year in jail. And in New Jersey, it is a fourth-degree felony, uh, which is uh, can get you uh, 18 months in jail. Uh, So it is illegal to take animals from these facilities uh, for experimentation. And so I have to let you know that. So it does go on throughout the country. And it's controlled state by state, the laws. Now, if the shelter shelter actually relinquishes the animals to these facilities, like, is there a way to figure out, like, do they have numbers where maybe the public can figure out, like, that they're doing it, the city shelters are doing it? Yes, yes. They have every facility, uh, and if it's a public facility, subject to the Open Public Records Act, uh, uh, which is uh, called OPRAs. Uh, you can get uh, and have done cases against many facilities in New Jersey, uh, mostly because that's where most of my work is, uh, where you can t- get a uh, request for in- uh, intake and disposition logs and DEA logs. In other words, every animal that comes in is given a number, and it has to be kept a certain amount of time. It, the animal has to be kept a certain amount of time uh, for uh, – can only be given out for uh, uh, redemption – or transfer into other facilities, and you can track animals uh, that way. And if there's a crime suspected, you can track animals as well. Like I remember you were talking about uh, the horse. Nobody can find out where that horse went. Well, you can find out where that horse went, uh, the one that was uh, subject to the, uh, yeah, the right uh, overwork. Yeah. You can track that animal. You think you can't. You can't. It's not subject to FOIA or OPRA, uh, Freedom of Information, or uh, Open Public Records. However, an investigation can compel the production of that animal. Well, what is the investigation? Animal cruelty investigation done by the police. If you have an animal and that animal basically went down and it was beat to get the, 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 the operator was beating the horse to get him up. That was the only thing that he did that was correct, actually. When an animal, big animal is down like that, you have to get him up. You have to strike the animal, get him up, scream at him. Get him on his feet. Every animal like that cannot stay down. However, that case was not a matter of beating. It was a violation of the animal cruelty statutes in New York uh, under uh, uh, Chapter 69, Article 26, Subsection 353, overworking the animal. That animal was on his third trip. Uh, The uh, animal was over 26 years old. And even though the animal had acceptable weight, it was not acceptable body mass for working, it was okay for a stable horse, but not for a working horse. And you have to check the the concentricity or the eccentricity of the wheels, how many people were in the carriage, and the violation is basically overworking. If you bring a, a violation of overworking, now the animal's evidence and you must be produced. And that's how you go and observe it. Uh, I see, I see. Uh, there's a lot of information there, I tell you that, Nancy. 
that was that's good. That, but it's good. It's good information. Let's go to Barbara in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Barbara. Hi, Nancy and Curtis. I have a question. A couple of weeks ago, I heard there was a bill on Co- Governor Hochul's desk to outlaw puppy mills and stores from selling uh, dogs and, I guess, cats. And I just was wondering whatever happened to that. I, I haven't heard any more about it. Yeah, yeah. So, so at this point, she still has not signed that. So it's in limbo. Um, and again, like, yeah. So, yeah. So sadly, it's like. So with all the agreement, uh, it still hasn't been signed. Like, it's just a signature, but apparently that's not happening. Yeah, well, is it an idea to call your local assemblyman and people like that? I mean, and well, yeah, and, and I think that's exactly what it should be because it passed, like, overwhelmingly. So everyone was on right. board with it. Like, as to why there's a delay makes no sense to me, given that basically it's like the public has spoken – that's why right. they actually, you know, decided this way. Like you're, you're mm-hmm. repre- representative, and it's like, no, <laughs> like we're gonna table this for a while. Like everything is done. Like all you need to do is sign your signature. That's it. Right. So yeah. we should just contact our local. Uh, yeah, I mean, and again, right. there's no reason why. It's like I, I don't even know why it would have to do potentially with like the upcoming election. Your local uh-huh. constituents throughout New York State have decided we want to do this. Like, why would you possibly exactly. just not sign? Like, it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree yeah. with you. I just was wondering if anything happened because I haven't heard anything. No, since. no, no nothing so happened. But I'm sure that th- this could be something that absolutely, if everyone calls their local officials, like push, say, sign this. We've already agreed to it. Sign it. The public wants it. Sign it. Now, finally, uh, Nancy, I see a big story coming out of the Philadelphia area. Animal Tranquilizer is overtaking Philly's opiate supply. Could you please explain that? Yeah, so um, uh, so apparently there's uh, the uh, pharmaceutical, uh, pharmaceuticals related to, like, uh, let's see, uh, when animals are being unnecessary. Like uh, maybe they're having like, surgery, right? So there's this drug that is now sort of permeating uh, Philadelphia, the underground. So this is like the drug of choice now. I'm not sure how, the, uh, you know, so this is like sort of uh, occurring. And, and apparently it's being mixed with, uh, I guess, what is like sort of the uh, underground sort of drugs in Philadelphia. It's like... Uh, heroin and fentanyl. So they're mixing this animal uh, anesthetizer with these drugs. So people are basically getting this <laughs> when they're taking these drugs. So I think these are being taken from, uh, you know, like veterinarian places. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> so apparently this is this is like overtaking opioids in Philadelphia. And then finally, let's go to Bob in Long Beach. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Bobby. Yeah, thanks, Curtis. Look, uh, here's, here's the gig, Nancy. Maybe you can help me. I have a French bulldog. She's about six years old. So what happened was she developed platter stones. So here's what we did. We got this great uh, dog food, like medicated dog food, SD, from Hills, right? But mm-hmm. all of a sudden... Hills dog food or something? You know what I mean? Hills yeah. company? Hills 
Yeah. So what happened was they stopped making it in the, uh, what you would call it, when this uh, pandemic. So what happened was we drove all over the tri-state area, abstaining with every case we could. It was the only thing that was dissolving the stones. But after a while, we exhausted all our options, and she had to have surgery because she couldn't urinate properly. So here's what happened. Now they're coming back, it looks like. We're only hoping we're going to the doctor Wednesday. We only hope it's a urinary tract infection. But I read on the internet, which I really don't do, but I read acidy fruits like oranges or tangerine or pineapple. You give that to them and it, it dissolves the stones. I can't get the food. If I had this food, I would have avoided surgery. So I'm going to send an email to the, the CEO of uh, Hill's Dog Food because everything's causing my dog like, to be sick. I can't get this food anywhere. Do you know any place that would mix, if I get the compounds or food, any place that would mix dog food? I'm the grandfather of the dog. I just got to take care of the dog. You know what I mean? Well, you know what? If you, um, it definitely, if you send an email, like I, I will look into uh, the specifics of that to like sort of assist you in, in what you're saying. But like, I, I understand what you're saying because I have um, uh, two cats of mine who, there's that same sort of thing where they have to have the the special food for their urinary tract, but you can't just get it in any store, and you have to order it like sort of in advance. So, you know, it could become an issue if you can't get it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's really that, that's uh yeah, that's unfortunate. It's like, I mean, it's, yeah. So I have a thing where it's like because the the veterinarian prescribed it. But you're right. It's like you can't buy it in a store. So, for instance, if you can't get that thing fulfilled, you can't just go into, like, a Petco and potentially just, like, buy it. So, I mean, yeah, again, this is where, like, the animal stuff needs to be really promoted so much. I mean, this isn't a a, a small issue. This is the, the welfare of your animal. So if you can't get something immediately, you should be able to go into a store and get this. And then after the fact, like, you know, sort of present the information because it really is so important for the pets that need it if they have these issues. Now, if uh, anyone else would like to get in touch with you directly to see the work that you do with the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division, how can they do that, Nancy? Uh, well, we, uh, they can go to uh, guardianangels.org, uh, and if they want to uh, contact me directly, uh, they can email me, uh, nancy at guardianangels.org. All right. We'll be back same time, same place yeah. next week for our animal uh, welfare edition here at WABC. Next uh, is Dominic Carter. And, boy, I'm going to be giving him an assignment for the Mameluke, Frank Morano, because Joe Piscopo gave it to me, and I'm going to hand it off to his old producer, Frank Morano. W-A-B-C. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 W-A-B-C. Miami FLA 
hitchhiked away across USA. Plucked her eyebrows on the way, shaved her legs, and then he was a she. She says, "Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side." Now, um, said, "Hey, honey." It could be XX chromosome. It could be XY chromosome. It could be non-binary. It could be any number of seventy-two different gender identifications or sexual preferences. But Dominique, I'm not going there. I am going to lateral off. The assignment that was given to me earlier today by Jersey Joe Piscopo, host of the Frank Sinatra two-hour extravaganza sponsored by Ramsey Mazda. What, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's a legendary radio figure who called him Hoboken Mary. And listen to what Joe Piscopo had to say. This is very interesting, if you want to make sure. your uh, listeners listen, Absolute, all right? Absolutely, yes. Okay, because I, I wrote poems, but I'm not going to give you my poem. But I'm going to just read this to you, Joe. September 11th is the 254th day of the year. Hmm. 254 equals 11. After September 11th, there are 111 days left to the end of the year. And 119 is the area code to Iraq. 1, 1 plus 9 Oops. equals 11. The first plane to hit the towers was Flight 11. State of New York, the yeah. 11th state oh. added to the Union. Uh -oh. New York uh -oh. City, 11 letters. <laughs> Afghanistan, 11 letters. The Pentagon, 11 letters. <laughs> Flight 11, 92 on board. 9-2 equals 11, oh. and flight 77, 65 on board, yeah. 6 plus 5 wow. equals 11. I think your listeners would like yeah. to hear that, right, Joe? Yeah, it's, it gets a little scary, but you got, you know, you got to call, you got to call Curtis when he comes on. Curtis is going to love this. you got to call Curtis Sliwa. He, that's, he, you're, that's his wheelhouse right there. Hoboken, uh -huh. Mary, we love you. I'm going to see you at San Giuseppe's, and we appreciate you always checking in and listening. Thank you, Mary. Now, she's an iconic figure in the... Radio, but he handed it to me. <laughs> I'm lateraling it to you, and then you could throw a pass right at Frank, who used to be Joe Piscopo's producer at AM 970, The Answer. Okay, that's right. That's right. This would sound, because it deals with uh, numerology, technology, like something that would be in Frank Morano's wheelhouse. Mm. Mm, so 11 plus 11 minus 11 plus 11 times 11 divided by 11 equals. Now, you see, these are the kind of listeners that Joe Piscopo has for the Frank Sinatra two-hour extravaganza. But notice how very adeptly he lateraled it to me. <laughs> I, likewise, am handing it off to you right here. And I want you to, whether punt it. Uh, pass it, but just make sure that that Mameluke, Frank Morano, gets it on the uh, other side of midnight. But, but, but did you just see that? What's that? You didn't see it? No. That was me punting the ball to Morano and to the morning show and on and on and on because 11 plus 11 divided by 11 plus 11 minus 11. Oh, God. Notice how Joe was going, huh? 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 
Oh, Hoboken Mary. And then at the end, hey, uh, welcome. I'll see you at Giuseppe's, uh, you know. Man, what kind of listeners does Joe Piscopo have? That's Frank Morano.